This week on Show Me Your News, a used games discussion, Duke Nukem Forever, and Metroid Other M. Also, the latest Apple announcements, Xbox Live changes, gaming classes at college, PlayStation Move, and so much more. The Buzzsaw and I, Yoko, are joined by M3D this week, and we have an It's Your Turn by Cyberlink420 on the point-and-click adventure game, Toonstruck. Hey, gaming world, I implore you to... Show me the news! And now, coming through your speakers and into your ears, it's the gaming podcast that you all know and love. It's Show Me Your News! like to show me your news we are a video game podcast and this is episode 69 of the show now let's just get it out of the way we want to mentally stimulate you um no no, no that, that's just not right we want to cover the top and bottom of the video no no that's just not right anyway i am yoko and i am joined of course by the buzzsaw good to be back good to see everyone here another exciting show Excellent, excellent. And joining us this week, we tried to get Samurai Panda on the show. We know that he's a fan favorite, and he wanted to be on this quote-unquote special episode. But we love having our guest here on the show, M3D. It's been a while since you were on the show. I think it was episode 57, but it's great to have you back. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I think it was, what, like April or May that I was on the show? We were talking about Pokemon? It feels like a while ago. Yeah, maybe it was March? Yeah, because I think it was March when HeartGold SoulSilver came out. But it's definitely been some time, and you definitely provide valuable insight, so it's wonderful to have you back. And we have a lot of things to talk about on the show. Last episode, we had to kind of cut it short, because we just kind of had not that much to talk about. Let's see, we got Duke Nukem Forever, we got Apple's announcements, Xbox has made some changes with Live and uh, Controller, there's an epic crossover of epicness, gaming classes are being taught at colleges for actual specific video games, and we got some PlayStation topics to talk about. We'll talk about also Metroid Other M, which was out recently, and then our big discussion today is going to be on the used games market. Um, the industry in a whole has been kind of up in arms about this issue lately and what used games mean for the developers and for the fans alike. So we will definitely talk about it with our two experienced guests here. Well, of course, Buzzsaw has now been the co-host for a while. What am I talking about here? Yeah, <laughs> I'm always a guest. I'll never replace Panda. Aww. What is this? Um, so M3D, let's start off the show with what we'd love to talk about, and that's what are you playing all right, fun times. Let's see. Um, my obsession the last couple of months has been League of Legends. Um, yes. It's a, I don't know <laughs> if you guys, yeah, it's LOL. The, the, but if you guys have played um, Warcraft Three, there's a mod for it out there called Defense of the Ancients. Well, some of the guys that worked on that ended up going to this company called Riot Games, and it's venture funded, and they started basically it's a free to play. Um, game and it's it's like defense of the, defense of the agents you play on the main map it's 5v5 and instead of like trying to micro a whole lot of units you have units that automatically march back and forth and it's a tower defense game essentially as you've got these towers and then you control a champion and so your champion um 
has a couple different abilities that you can use that, you know, they do damage or they heal or they, um, they it's similar to like your typical uh, archetypes that you see in um, MMOs and fantasy games and that sort of stuff. But a lot of fun, really competitive. Um, you know, there's a few kinks here or there that kind of bug me about the game, particularly when people leave the game. There's There's no like adjustment for it. Basically all you can do is try and win 4v5, which is nearly impossible because there's nothing that like helps you win once mm. you're down 4v5 and then or you can surrender. So um but overall really great game. It's being featured on WCG and I'm trying to work out something that I'm gonna go out and do some commentary for the game live um wow. at the WCG finals. So hopefully cross our fingers you guys will be hearing me soon on the WCG uh stream. But um so that's what I'm playing right now. Um and then um, the other thing is I just got a PS3 finally, so I've been playing some Fat Princess with some friends. Nice, nice. Oh, wow. Now, for the commentary that you've been doing, what's like the style of commentary? Is it you know, just more like analytical, or are you more the play-by-play sort of? No. Um, so when I was working for Major League Gaming, I used to do live commentary at events, and um, there was a guy that I worked with there called Luke Bodenheimer. His gamer tag is Virulence, or virulence however you want to say that and he is basically an official caster for blizzard he goes out and does blizzcon and all the events so he generally handled the play-by-play and i did the color um and so that's kind of what we're shooting for again he also plays league of legends and so we're hoping that it works out that we get to go and um do this at wcg and they've got um a guy named matt marco who's a a veteran of the esports world and he's kind of their esports manager for the company so we're trying to work with him to work something out so cross your fingers hopes it works out if not maybe going into season two we'll do something with them but um but yeah i'm definitely more of kind of a color guy i like to talk to the players and kind of get a feel for the styles and all that and then somebody who's got more of a rapid fire mouth can handle all of the uh and that was a great play and blah 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 you know (laughs) that really fast stuff (laughs) I, i can do that stuff but i'm better at you know Kind of shooting the breeze with people. Right, right. Well, no, that's excellent. We know have uh, we have a lot of Show Me News fans who are League of Legends fans as well. So to hear that news that you might be getting, you know, high up there with a uh, WGC is is excellent. That's that's amazing. Uh, Buzz, what about you? What have you been playing? I've been playing everything. It's been a busy couple weeks, slacking out from school. Um, I'm still doing Phoenix Wright. It's been in my past like what three updates? Pretty much, but that's a <laughs> um, great thing. Yeah, I've completed the second and third game. I've completed the core first game. I haven't completed Case 5. For those of you who know, Case 5 of the first Phoenix Wright game was added on using DS functionality after the fact, you know, because all the original games came from, you know, Game Boy Advance. So I haven't finished that one case, I admit it. But I've completed all the core cases. Um, I'm actually working now on Apollo Justice. Just completed case number three. I have one left to get case number four. Um, aside from those, I'm playing Torchlight, which, for those of you who don't know, is that very popular Diablo clone. Well, Diablo clone without multiplayer. Torchlight 2 will have multiplayer, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been playing more Borderlands, actually. Uh, and then my most recent addition is the Amnesia Dark Descent demo. Um, some of you might be familiar with the uh, Penumbra series from before. It's a really, really scary game series. It's basically... Uh, a first-person adventure game where you have no weapons, and yet there are dangerous creatures about. So it's really, really freaky, and they just came out with a new game called Amnesia. Well, the game comes out next week, but the demo's out already, and I've been messing with that. 
And it's scary as usual, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very terrifying game, but it's good if you like adventure games. Um, but, yeah, I'm just trying to pack all this stuff in until school starts. School starts next week for me, so Ooh. Um, I'm on the run <laughs> just trying to slack <laughs> off. <laughs> now, we were talking about Phoenix Wright, and you said you really enjoyed the ending of uh, Trials and Tribulations. I did. It turned out really well. Good case, good evidence, and just good killer. Good everything. Mm-hmm. I just love everything about it. So, yeah. We'll eventually have a, uh, a Phoenix Wright cast in the future, much like we had the Poke cast. So those that are Ace Attorney fans will definitely be interested to hear that. That'll be on one of the next few episodes for sure. Um, and you were in- influenced by the game so much that you decided to make your Halloween costume off one of the yes. characters. I am going to be Godo this Halloween. Ooh. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, my, my wife is a... Uh, is a mask maker. She makes um, various animal masks for people on DeviantArt and stuff, and they pay you know a lot of money for them. She is going to help me make a Goto mask. She's using her fancy materials and molds and stuff. I don't know how any of it works, but she's going to help me make the mask. And I've been shopping for, what is it, that turquoise teal shirt of his and the fancy vest and everything. Yep, I'm going to be Goto, the prosecutor. It's tough to find. I mean... Um, my brother's trying to be uh, Miles Edgeworth for the Yomacon anime convention event that awesome. we're going to have a big show me news meet up at. I'm going to be uh, Clavier Gavin. And so, yeah, looking for like some of those weirdly colored you know, suit coats at your local yeah. Salvation Army or whatever, <laughs> those are challenges. Although I think more often than not, we've been finding that like that turquoise color and I'm like, those would be Goto pants or that'd be a Goto jacket. And it's like, yeah. if only we could send it out to Idaho. <laughs> if only. Yeah. yeah, my only shot here is a place called Desert Industries. Mm. And it's got a bunch of just donated stuff I can sift through. We found a shirt like the other day, but it was the wrong size. I'm just way too oh, long man. a person. <laughs> so need to find longer sleeves. That's a bummer. Um, let's see, what have I been playing? I recently played yesterday, I played a Flash game on Newgrounds. Um, if you know of the movie The Room, which is... A, one of those so bad it's amazing films by the one and only <laughs> uh, director, producer, writer, star extraordinaire Tommy Wiseau. Uh, the p- people who hit up Newgrounds made a Flash game that is the Room Tribute, and it's a point-and-click adventure game, and it is very true to the original source material. Let's just say that I would recommend searching the Room Tribute over at Newgrounds if you've seen the movie before. Absolutely, do it. It takes maybe an hour to complete. So really, really straightforward. Um, I've also been starting Persona 3. Uh, I have the FES version for those that really are that interested in it. For the PlayStation 2, also known as Shin Megami Tensei, Persona 3. Um, it's a weird game, to say the least. It's. I think the, the main thing I got put off with a little bit was that it took at least an hour to explain the basics. Like, the end of your first actual battle was at the hour point. And that's kind of a long time when you're actually, like, trying to teach everything about the game to people. So, otherwise, it's, you know, role-playing, you're a high school student, but you can, you know, enter the dark hour, which is this mysterious time of day. Uh, Just, you know, as midnight strikes, there's an extra hour in the day, and, you know, all these monsters come out and... You know, all these special people have the potential to see them and all that. It's apparently like a big time suck. And I'm just going through so many games that I don't know if I can like devote all my time to that. I 
just found Shadow of the Colossus at my local GameStop. So my base PS2 collection that, you know, I'm so far behind in playing all these games, it is complete with Shadow of the Colossus now, and I have to, I have to get to playing that. And, of course, been doing a Metroid Other M. Uh, we just, my brother and I, we 100%ed our save file yesterday. So we'll have things to talk about that. That'll be in the out recently section of the show. That'll be a bit later. But getting into the headlines now, guys, it's been years and years in the making. But according to Gearbox Software, they're over at PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo out in Seattle. Duke Nukem Forever is real. The most appropriately titled game in the game industry been in development for so many years um i'll need to find the link and post it in the show notes but if you guys get a chance read the full history behind that game it is amazing what it went through <laughs> i saw a receipt it was just today of a guy who had a a nine-year-old receipt for his pre-order for duke nukem Forever back in 2001 the receipt has since yellowed over time <laughs> But he's, did, he's it, did he pay uh forty nine ninety five for it or fifty nine ninety five for he it? He actually had a he had a, a free, you know, pre order hold on it. He didn't seem to pay anything on it. So it was like zero point zero zero. It wasn't a prepay, just a just a reserve one slot. Right, right. Yeah. But it's been so long. And Jason, I don't know, did you see any of the uh footage and just what's your general impressions about this game that has been, you know, it's been out, it's been cancelled and for so long, what's your impressions of actually seeing footage from a studio that is, you know, as, you know, distinguished, if you will, as Gearbox. All right, I'm, I'm going to confess to you guys here, right? So besides being, like, normally busy, I saw the link the other day. Someone said, hey, look, they're streaming Duke Nukem Forever from PAX. Mm-hmm. And so I was tempted to click on the link, and then I held back, okay? Because this game got started, I think, at 3D Realms in 1997, so we're talking wow. 13 years. They say that Gearbox is saying it's going to release in 2011. So that's 14 years of development that's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, like, in 1997, I was I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm, I'm 28 now. So um, this, this game has been going on forever. And I, I kind of, to me, like... It, it's been so long that it feels like when you talk about vaporware, like Duke Nukem Forever is like that that yep. that game, you yep. know. And so like like the nerd in me, like when you think back to comic books, right? There was that like Dead wasn't really Dead unless it was Bucky Dead, right? That was Captain America's sidekick. Hmm. Yeah. People would say, well, is 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 they say, oh yeah, they're killing this character. Well, is he going to be dead or is he going to be Bucky Dead? You know. And so it was always kind of like, like Bucky was the standard because he died in the explosion that caused Cap to get frozen, and they never brought him back. Even I mean, they started Captain America what back in like the 30s, and all these years, all the way up into the 2000s, there was no Bucky. Bucky was really dead. And um, then all of a sudden they brought Bucky back, right? And so now, like, Bucky dead is forever ruined for me. And I kind of feel like it's the same thing with Duke Nukem Forever. Like, the vaporware game, if it really does come out next year, like, this, it's going to be like Bucky dead to me, you know? Like, I'm still going to think of Duke Nukem Forever, like, synonymously with vaporware, but it's going to be kind of destroyed. I think your evaluation is accurate, though, because technically it did die. Like it was for all intents and purposes dead, and mm-hmm. the company behind it dead. They they were not developing anymore. They had to rip it from their dead hands and give it to somebody else. 
<laughs> so I don't know. I still think it is Bucky Dead by per your definition. It's just now it's under someone else's management, and there's a game of the same name being released. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they should just give it a different name. That would probably, you know, satisfy me because it, it yeah. really this game is not anywhere mm-hmm. what it was probably envisioned to be in 1997 when it was first created. So it's a, an entirely different game now. So why not give yeah. it a, a different name? Mm-hmm. Apparently, the impressions from the PAX show floor that you know the graphics really could use some polishing, but you know, then again, it's a it's a demo. But it's apparently just really outdated tech, and that's almost not surprising. But I, I would ag- I would agree with the, the name change. The name change would absolutely help. But at the same time, it, it's really conflicting because if you do keep it as the name, I think there are a lot of gamers out there, and I might be just myself included. I've never played a Duke Nukem title, but I almost might, if it does indeed come out in 2011, I might just buy it for the sake of having it. It's going to be a historical historic title for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and even though it's probably not going to be any good, it's not going to live up to all the expectations. It'll maybe just be mediocre at best, but you almost have to own it just because it is that legendary came back from the dead title. And the money goes to Gearbox, and that makes it worth it. <laughs> right. So they can make more Borderlands, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> no, seriously, it's... Um, like I'm an old school Duke Nukem player. I played the originals, and Yoko, I don't, I don't know if you've seen the the original originals, but the first one and two Duke Nukem games were side scrollers, mm-hmm. and those were the good oh, wow. days, little DOS side scrollers. And then it went became Duke Nukem 3D, and then it made a big breakthrough. And at the time, it was the forefront of of technology, and that's ironically what led to its demise. Is the the people behind the game kept saying, let's start over with those new engines out, let's use that and make it better and make it better and make it better, and then I just never released it. So right. <laughs> now, now, hold on a second, Buzz. When you say that you played the old games, let me let me test your fanness here. Okay. Did you play Duke Nukem on the GBA? No, I played the PC, the DOS versions. Okay, so that takes you back, but... But you, you're kind of, you know, you're you're kind of this hybrid player like I am, where like you've got that PC route, but you still play the console games. Like mm. I gave Duke Nukem for the GBA a try, and the controls were pretty atrocious, but I played the game. So I'm, you should, yeah. you know, if you can find it, you should give it a try because that that'll take you back for sure. That's cool. I didn't even know it was on GBA to be honest. So I just played the old ones. Now, one more thing I think we have to mention with regarding this game is that you know. It's almost like the downside, what it means for other games. With this game, if it does indeed come back from the dead, what does this mean for other video games? Can we never count, a, you know, a possibility of like another title dead? Like, there's always talks of like you know, Smash Four or Battlefront Three, and it's it's not just like these games that they're they're all going to be made maybe eventually, but well, can we always just like we always have to keep it in the you know realm of possibility now that this game you know that's 14 years removed is going to be actually made you do but you don't um i actually was going to cite another example it's not quite as extreme but if i don't know if you guys are familiar with the title starcraft ghost that was announced forever ago by blizzard it was going to be a single player first person shooter adventure of some kind and then out of the, the blue disappeared right yeah Wasn't it was on the supposed GameCube. to be on the gamecube Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And it was just funny because all of a sudden it kind of disappeared. And when they asked Blizzard about it, they didn't say, oh, it's canceled, oh, it's gone. They just said, it's on hold, it's postponed, it's on it's on probation right now. Like, they, they, they made all these weird excuses, and lo and behold, it snuck back in through StarCraft 2. StarCraft 2 has this big, fancy, you know, 
editor, I don't know if you guys have seen it, where you can make not just another RTS, but you can make a first-person shooter, a Diablo-type RPG. You, you can make anything with that editor, and they used StarCraft Ghost as their demo model. So it, like, it oddly enough, came back to life in one of their subsequent games. It's no longer called StarCraft Ghost, it's just StarCraft Two. but, you know... I think you're right that these games that you think are dead, someone will come along and be like, "Hey, we can stick this in," and they'll just it'll come back to life somewhere, somewhere along the lines. So. Yeah, look, the game industry is driven by the dollar sign, right? So if there's enough fans clamoring for it, and it's not a Nintendo property, eventually it'll probably get done. Now, you know, if you're <laughs> a Nintendo, Nintendo fan, <laughs> you know, like like Mother Three or whatever, they, everyone's been yeah, clamoring yeah. for the Mother games. And but but Nintendo games aside, like look at Marvel vs. Capcom. Come three, right? You right. saw kind of this resurgence in the last couple of years of the 2D fighter because they they took that Smash Brothers model where they take kind of the 3D models, put them on a 2D plane. They made the controls a little bit more accessible, and Bam Street Fighter Four sold a ton of copies, yada yada. And so now all of a sudden, Marvel vs. Capcom three is here, and people have been waiting for that since the 90s. Um, when did number two come Ghostbusters out? You know? game. I think it was 99 or 2000. Uh, yeah, something okay. like that. It was it was it was pretty uh yeah. 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 Not, so it's been a while. Since 98. <laughs> right. So people were waiting for that for a long time. They thought that series would keep on rolling because the second one was so successful and it just kind of floundered. Um you look at the Ghostbusters game came out. Um right. it, as long as there's a, a fan base there that they can tap, like eventually stuff will get made. Now the the problem is for a lot of fans is that there are these really like excited like hardcore fans of certain series that are really vehement that this product needs to get made, and a lot of times the um, the monetary like rollover isn't it doesn't match the hype. You know what I'm saying? And this is my concern yeah. about Duke Nukem Forever is like, but like if we're honest with ourselves, Duke Nukem Forever it's relevant because it's a joke, not because the Duke Nukem series is particularly strong. So, you know, you say, hey, look, I'm not a big Duke Nukem fan, but I might pick it up just because it's Duke Nukem forever. Well, they're going to they're gonna bank on that, you know, mm-hmm. like that the, the Gearbox name and that the Duke Nukem forever thing kind of being a joke is going to generate enough interest that people will come out and buy that in troves, and that might not happen. I saw well, an article. Well, actually, I wanted to ask you about that. How do they go about probing the financial viability? Of that? I mean, I, like, for example, just from me as a customer's point of view, I've never seen a survey that says who wants this game to go on, who wants this series to go on. How do they find out that kind of stuff, how much they want a series to come back? Um, lizard entrails, um, magic crystal balls. Yeah, uh, <laughs> something. <laughs> and the, really, really what it boils down to is, you know, it's a couple of things. It's, it's buzz within the industry. Um, like, they kind of see what what people like, what People don't like that sort of like, stuff. Like, do you think they it find is... forums and communities, or like? No, I mean they pay attention to the big sites. It's what are the big sites reporting on? You're not going to see a lot of these developers probing like like smaller game communities looking for ideas. That's that's not really what you what, what's go- going on. It, it's going to be a combination of things. It's like I said, there's going to be the sales of previous games that are going to give them you know one one tick. If you like, I was saying where we're seeing kind of this revival of the 2D fighter thing, and I know 2D fighters never went away. I'm sure all the fighting game kids out there are going to crucify me for saying <laughs> that they, they're being revived. But really, what what we're seeing is that we're, they're becoming more economically viable. 
mm-hmm. and that's probably you know a combination of a variety of things. It's that they're they're cheaper to produce than a full fledged like first person shooter or whatever else. Um, the kind of combination of more accessible controls and the better graphics and all that, plus nostalgia. Um, there's been enough time since the last series. A lot of times, series they just they just burn out, right? They run out of new ideas. It kind of grinds to a halt. You saw that with like the Mega Man series, right? Like you played Meg- the classic Mega Man games, and by the time they got to like five or before they rolled the S and then went into X, they had kind of run out of ideas and it didn't feel that fresh. Well, then in 2008, 2007, they get this idea: Hey, let's nostalgia thing, right? right? So they did that, and then the Mega Man 9, everyone was crazy excited about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's I th- I think it's a combination of a lot of different factors, and there's no, like, one science to it. And sometimes it's really just, like, the right people who grew up with the right products are now in, have the money and the clout to throw money at the project. Yeah. They want to. So sometimes you see these things come back, because 20 years later, the kid that wanted to get into the game industry because he played Mega Man is now a producer at Capcom. There you go. And so, like, you know, who champions it? Where are the sales right now? Has it been long enough since the last game? Do we have any new ideas? What's the distribution model? All those things get factored in, and really it just boils down to, to luck and hard work. Excellent. See, see, podcast fans, when you have someone who has his own, you know, gaming company... This is the kind of the insight that you get. Um, I mean, I absolutely agree on all those points. And I think, it, you know, you can't even ignore the fact that yesterday when, you know, Duke Nukem Forever was being, you know, spread out there on the internet and all that, number one trending Twitter topic worldwide, Duke Nukem Forever. I mean, I think that kind of market is equally undeniable. Especially with, you know, the way that we're all leaning to social networking and all for for all our... Uh, information sources on uh, the the words escaping me for just like the public at large. Um, similarly, with you know Gearbox, we have a sort of a tie-in here. Gearbox announced that Borderlands Game of the Year edition will be coming out in October. It's going to include all of the downloadable content packs, including the new one that they're working on. And I know Woo! Buzz, y- being the big Borderlands fan you are, what does this mean for you know those who are new to the Borderlands? Series like I will be. I'm I'm planning to get this per your recommendation. Um, yep. But what does this mean for Borderlands fans? Well, just like you said, if if you're new to the series, it's a perfect way to jump in. I mean, it catches you all the way up. You have all the DLC. You're not missing anything. And for people like me, doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, other than the fact that I'll have maybe other friends get it and I'll play with them. Like for example, I'll probably play with you, Yoko, if you pick it up. <laughs> if I but get it for PC, for- that is. Yeah, well, yeah, if you do, I guess that, that's true, too. But for people like me, it won't have the biggest effect, because, like I said, I have I bought it a long time ago, and I've been following the DLC, and I buy the DLC as they come out. So, you know, what can you do? But mm-hmm. I'm excited that more people pick it up. I, I have people who have been eyeballing it and thinking about it, and now they'll grab it, because I know they can get it all in one foul swoop. And uh, they actually said the... The fourth DLC won't even might not even be done by that time, so oh, you'll really? get a coupon to like download it or something. But yeah, it's cool because the DLC really makes the game a lot more fun. It gives you more stuff to do, and um, it's depressing when you beat the game and you're like you you have all this gear and you have all these skills and level ups and you have nothing else to do. 
you get DLC, you got more stuff to do, more stuff to kill. So, <laughs> so I think it's Plus, great what news. system do you play it on? I play it on PC. I use Steam to to get it. Okay. Is, I don't even that... have a PS3 or Xbox to be honest. So. Okay. So does that work with the PS3 and Xbox servers? Or are they all individual? No, no, they are all uh, separated by their services. Um, gotcha. Steam plays with Steam players. Well, no, I take that back. They play on a uh, what's it called? GameSpy. I think that's oh, what the yeah, service is yeah, PC plays on GameSpy, and then Xbox. I think they, I think they just use Live, and then PS3 uses PlayStation Network or something. And but I just know that they're all separate because mm-hmm. I've had people try to invite me too. Like we should play together, and I'm like, yeah. And they, he goes to me that. I'm like, he's like, what's your what's your live name? I'm like, I don't have a live name. And he's like, oh, what do you have? I'm like, I have a Steam name. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> so. I think it's, you know, as as great as it is for, you know, people who want to get into Borderlands, like me, I think it's a it's a strange trend that, you know, game developers have been, you know, picking up on. You have, like, Oblivion, you have Fallout 3, now this, there are plenty of other examples where you're releasing so much downloadable content that expands the game that they feel the need to re-release this, and it's almost it almost feels like a money grab. I wouldn't be surprised at all with uh, Mass Effect 2, they have the, uh, the Shadow Broker downloadable content coming out this week. That makes, you know, several packs of DLC, and my brother hasn't been, you know, catching up on it, but he's planning on getting all of this downloadable content. And when they're, you know, 10 bucks a pop, that's almost like paying for an entire new game. So, you know, if they're going with this trend, are they going to come out with something like a Mass Effect 2 Game of the Year edition, even if it's not necessarily the Game of the Year, just so they have an excuse to repackage all the stuff? I mean, I'm sure it makes sense uh, economically, but, you know, from a, a game player standpoint, what do you think on something like that in 3D? That they name things Game of the Year, even if it doesn't win a Game of the Year award? Or even the fact that they just bundle, you know, a new package like this with bundle all this downloads. Bundle and resale, bundle and resale yeah. kind of thing. Well, I think, it's, I think it's good for the consumer market, because if you, if, if you haven't played this before, right, um, number one, the game gets overcrowded with other products. It's not getting much buzz. Um, and then if you do get it, it's kind of intimidating because you've got to get all this DLC if you want to get caught up with your friends, right? Mm-hmm. So when it when they're going to release this new like rebundled version with the DLC packaged in, and it's usually at a discounted price, well, now there's new buzz about it, so you're bringing in new customers. The players get to play it for less money than what they would have paid initially, and the guys that already made an investment, their investment, like some people will say, oh, well, I got cheated because I bought all this stuff when it was new, and now you're giving it away for 20 bucks or you know whatever else. But really, their investment gets more valuable because they've got new players to play with, and the, the company continues to support the product. Um, so it actually kind of extends the life of the product of the investment that the original players put into it by having these new releases. Um, now, when you get to like kind of Nintendo levels, and I know I've I you know joked on Nintendo before, but we're Nintendo like every time they release a new system, like Dr. Mario has been on how many Nintendo systems, right? And they want you mm-hmm. to pay for it every time. Like that sort of thing starts to grate on you, but really what it does is it keeps that series fresh, and so. Fortunately, with you know backwards compatibility, you don't have to buy Doctor Mario every time. But um, 
you know, in this instance, I think it's generally good for the consumer, and it's good for the company who produced the game, too, because if it's good enough that a publisher wants to say, yeah, let's do a packaged version, then that means that that publisher or that developer is going to get more money, and they're going to be able to keep investing in the product, whether that's a sequel or more DLC, and obviously that's good for the players, too. Right. When I thought you were going to be ripping on Nintendo, I thought you were going to say that they don't support their games with downloadable content, because they can't. <laughs> yeah. Right, well... <laughs> You know that that that's a side. That's a that's kind of a a decision that they a business decision they made because they want to position the Wii more as a casual toy rather than a like hardcore gaming box. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make it less intimidating to the to the casual customer, and it, they've succeeded in what they've produced. And it's frustrating for like core gamers to have an expectation of this sort of thing. But as a business decision, it was very successful for Nintendo. And I think hopefully with their next console, they'll find ways of continuing to uh, brand Nintendo so that it's uh, so that it's appealing to these casual players and it's not intimidating, but they still provide the services that the core gamers are looking for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it is kind of intimidating with the 3DS that they have coming out that you know, it's supposedly going to be always connected and always going to be downloading new things for you to play. That, even as, you know, someone who's going to be getting the 3DS, you know, day one, no matter what, that that's almost a little intimidating to me because of just the, the whole connectivity. But I do trust Nintendo. I think they'll be able to figure it out. Now, as far as another random tangent goes with, you know, handhelds, Apple, see what I did there? <laughs> they, they had their... Uh, they're, they're big uh, announcements. You know, they had a, a big um, press conference, and they announced several things. Looks like, uh, let's see, iTunes 10 with Ping, a new uh, you know media, uh, music, social network kind of deal. Um, I did get prompted to download iTunes 10, but I honestly haven't delved into Ping at all, so I really don't see its appeal. Uh, they're talking about iOS 4.1 and 4.2. Uh, new things like they're finally bringing Game Center to the uh, their handhelds, the iPod Touch, etc., where it's basically going to be like Xbox Live. You're going to have a friends list, you're going to have matchmaking, and all sorts of uh, stuff like that. You'll see leaderboards, uh, push invitations to play online. So that's interesting that they're really trying to push that. Um, I think the, the big thing for a lot of people is their, the new Apple TV for 99 cents. It's about the size of your hand, and it uh, it streams music, TV shows, movies, podcasts, radio stations, and more uh, from iTunes from your iPad, which is the, the big deal, is that you can stream stuff from the iPad to your TV. Uh, supports Netflix, YouTube, Flickr, and their mobile me service. The key is it doesn't store anything. It's just a device that will stream footage to your TV. It's an interesting kind of deal, but, I mean, when you have something like an Xbox 360 or a PlayStation 3 that can, you know, take stuff from your PC that can already do that. I don't necessarily see the appeal, but for the casual market, that's that's huge that they have that Apple TV going. Uh, your guys' thoughts on some of the things that they announced. Or, sorry, I 90, never knew uh, $99. The, uh, $99. Uh, I, I misspoke. Sorry. People are catching me in the Stickam chat. Uh, yeah, people, oh, yeah, they said $0.99. Cents. That's Whoopsie. an awesome product. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. I don't know. I knew one person that had the... Uh, was the old one called Apple TV? The yes. big white one? Yes, it was. That was what it was called. I knew one person that had it. I didn't have a lot of time to fiddle with it. But to me, it, I don't know. It just seems kind of out of place. and doesn't. I don't know what I'd use it for. I don't know. Maybe maybe I've, I've missed the purpose of the product, but it just doesn't seem like it's a necessary part of their lineup. I don't know. But M3D here is a, a huge Apple junkie. I know that much is true. 
It's true. I'm I'm doing this podcast from my MacBook Pro. I'm actually not at home right now. I'm visiting my in-laws in South Carolina, um, and uh, I've got a whole like QA lab set up at home with multiple Apple devices, stretching all the way back to 2001. So I've kind of got my my Mac uh, my Mac Mojo going. Um, honestly, I'm not too excited about the the recent announcements, um, and I'll tell you why. Like. Um, Apple TV, they're definitely giving it a better go. You know, like Steve Jobs was quoted saying, oh yeah, this is just kind of a hobby for us. It's something we do on the side. And really, like, people kind of knew that that was double talk. Like, it basically what he was saying was, we know the product isn't great right now, but we have big plans for this. And so getting into that space, understanding how people use the hardware and the software is important, that sort of thing. And so what they've really been doing the last couple of years with the old Apple TVs is kind of learning the biz, right? Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, they're kicking butt in iTunes and iPod and all, everything that you can download from the App Store and yada yada. Um, so Apple TV, I will probably get one, but only because it's a $99 price point, which I think is super key. By hitting the $99 price point, they've opened it up to mass market, right? So Absolutely. If it had been $200, they wouldn't have sold a quarter of as many as what they're going to sell at $99. So that's a huge deal for them. And what it's going to let me do, basically, it's going to let me link up all my devices. So since I'm already an Apple guy, and since so many people, even if they've got a Windows computer, they've got an iPod, they've got an iPad, um, so they're going to be able to link those up, right? So now I'm going to be able to push media from one device to another without a ton of headaches. And let me tell you, I have done some crazy shenanigans to hook up devices before. One, one time I had a, a soccer game during a finale for So You Think You Can Dance, which my wife and I are really into. And I didn't, I, we didn't have a DVR at the time. And so I got together all this hardware, right? And so I had like the, the DTV converter box that you need to watch television now and the um, antenna and a computer and this other like uh, media box that's meant to stream technology but I didn't have the right cords for it and so I was running through something I mean I had like eight different pieces of technology to link everything up just so I could record this program while I was gone on my soccer game mm. so like I've done some crazy stuff before and I think this super streamlines all of that because you know even if it's not meant to be like a DVR device somebody's going to figure out how to make it work that way and um it, you'll you'll push media from your TV out to your your app. In any ways, you'll be able to do a whole lot with that that normally would be a lot of headaches. And so, Apple's what, what Apple's really good at is a marketing products and b um, user interface, making things simple to use, making things streamlined, that sort of thing. And so, I think we're going to see a lot of people getting into this just because it's there, it's cheap. Um, and they're already spending money. And so Apple's going to start to kind of penetrate new markets with this, which I think is good for them. But um, I don't think the average American consumer is ready to, like, make the leap from broadcast television to digital, uh, whatever you want to call this, to Internet television. Mm -hmm. That that market hasn't fully matured yet. And so one of my criticisms of Apple is the way that they are so proprietary and they lock people into their services, their devices, their technology, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And I think the future of Internet television is going to be a lot more open than that. And so uh, I don't think the Apple TV is the device to mature the market, but I do think it's going to help that process. It's definitely a good start. I think there's something like 100 million um, 
cable TV subscriptions still in America. Some some big number that yeah, we have a long way to go before internet really cleans up that market. Yeah, and part of that is just, you know, there are places where broadband hasn't even penetrated yet in the US. I mean yep. there's there's rural areas of Appalachia and um like open plains areas and whatever else where you just don't have that stuff yet. And it I mean cable television's been around since the eighties. We're talking thirty years and it hasn't reached there yet. And there's even like there are state senates that are debating whether or not the state should pay to roll that stuff out there because it's become such a critical part of quote unquote American life. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that people are ready to give up broadcast television, whether you want to think of it as satellite cable or regular broadcast or whatever. I don't think that they're quite ready to to see that paradigm shift. It will it but will I, take a while. But I think one of the big things, like well, you just mentioned like DVR. I think DVR is one of those big transitioning devices where for the first time ever, we don't have to be there at 7 p.m. on Thursday to catch the show. We just set a timer and we can watch it whenever we want the next day or something. You know, <laughs> Right. You're, think, you're unshackled. Yeah, exactly. And with, with these new devices, as they become easier to use and become more common and, and less expensive, people will get used to that idea of yeah, I don't. There's there's no such thing as a broadcast schedule. Like like yes, maybe a show will come out a certain day. You know, obviously they won't release whenever, but you'll get used to the idea of I can go and grab it and watch it at my leisure. I don't need to watch it according to a. Yeah, you know, a schedule. But, but see, with that, this is where my schooling from Michigan, you know, comes in handy. Th- that's driving the TV people crazy because all the ad revenue that they'd usually depend on when you're you being by the TV, with you know that you can skip the commercials, and now they're trying to do you know online ad stuff. The whole DVR thing is just driving them nuts. You know, regarding what they can do for advertising, and even though it's a great thing for us, that's something they're really worried about. Well, that you know, that goes back to the whole debate over the last 50 years of media is each time the technology advances, the business model has to, uh, has to evolve. And if it doesn't, then you're going to get left behind. And, the, and you, you've seen it over the last, you know, particularly 10 or 15 years with digital media. And, but even going back to VCRs and broad, broadcast television, all that stuff, these companies, they try and use the law to bend the consumer and the technology to their will and how they think things should work rather than the other way around. And we're going to probably get more into this a little bit later with our discussion about the, um, the used game sales or whatever. Right. But really what has to happen is that the industry has to evolve. You are not... Uh, you are not entitled to your way of life or to your business model. What you have to do mm-hmm. is you have to adapt to the changing environment, just like any other life form has to. Right. Okay, as one sentence about, uh, before we move on, thoughts on the Game Center. Do you think it's going to be you know, something that is you know, going to be something that takes off, or is it too little too late you know, as far as the, the market goes? I'm going to give it a try. Um, you know, like I guess I have an iPad, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in with that and see how good it really is. But I don't know. I don't. I really don't think it has to compete against anything particularly right now. I mean, because the Apple's position position themselves to get these devices into the hands of like everybody, as many people as possible. And if you look on the article, it says they have what 230,000 new activations each day. I mean, I think it's great that they're. That they're centralizing the game center into one place to where you can just shop through these things and buy it because it it sounds like that that's what the most common type of purchased app is is games. So I don't know. I th- I think they'll, they'll they'll do great. I think it'll be a big success, but we'll see. 
<laughs> that was not one sentence, Buzz. Seriously. Keep it together, oh. man. Yeah, I did. It was a big ramble on. I had no, <laughs> I had no punctuations. I used semicolons. And... Okay, okay. Here's, here's my one sentence. I will try it, but I am not enthused by it. And I will add the buzzsaw to my friends list. Yes. <laughs> my first friend on my iDevice. I am a little concerned that it's not the uh, the kind of features that the casual audience is looking for. But I could very well be wrong. Um, moving on then, let's see. Xbox Live. Well, again, we're comparing similar sort of things here. It's like this was planned or something, but it really wasn't. Um, starting November 1st, Xbox Live, you know, people are complaining that, you know, for to use the service you have to pay. You have to pay $50 usually. Well, now, starting November 1st, in the United States, or at least North America, they're getting a 10% bump, so it will be $60 for a full year's subscription. Now, this I- is tricky. This, this is, this is uh, dangerous territory, because you have to do it right. Like, and I'm just speaking generally. If any one of my services just announced to me, hey, uh, your bill is going to go up X amount just because, you know, and you have no say in it, it mm. <laughs> if not done right, I would cancel the service. I don't know. It depends on what it is. But to me, it seems like it's, do they really need the $10 extra from all their current subscribers? Right. It's, I mean, I think this is going to be a move that's planned because of Microsoft Connect, and you can do the whole, you know, the ESPN stuff. You can do the the video chat with friends and everything. I think that's what the move is geared for, but I think, you know, they're already asking so much for Connect. A $150 bundle with, a, like, a $99 peripheral well, and a really and crappy game. I mean, aren't a lot of their services paid for anyway? I mean, separately? Like you have to buy Xbox Live Arcade games, and you have to buy certain subscriptions, or is that are they trying to include that forcibly? I mean, you have to pay for the arcade game, sure, but like a lot of the most of the things that that you can do with all the uh, let's see, well, no, Netflix is its own thing. Last FM and the Facebook and the Twitter that's all included for free. Um, but I think it's it's really going to be the whole video chat and everything. I just don't see the need to bump it up. The only thing that I'm happy about is that when I got my Xbox, it was, I can't remember which, it was either the beginning of September or the beginning of of October. I think it was the beginning of of October. So I have to renew before this price point anyway. So I'm going to get my $50 worth and then we'll see over the next year if it'll be worth to pay $60 again next year. Um, Jason, any thoughts on this price bump? All right, uh, let me let me be the um, the the voice of balance here okay. to you guys. All right. um, if you look at like so many other things in life, a subscription is pretty common, right? You pay for your magazine subscription once a year. Sometimes that goes up. You pay for your cable bill. That's that's essentially a subscription that you're getting to all these channels that you get to watch. You pay for your phone service, yada yada. Um, as those things expand, as they grow, and even over t- times costs increase, prices go up. That just that just happens, right? That's that's a, a normal part of doing business, particularly when you get into um, to things that are upgrading constantly and offering new services constantly, and yada yada. So, I mean, if you look at like I just got the PS3 and I've been playing around with it, and let, let's be honest, guys, their online service 
It's free, but it's not the same thing as the Xbox Live experience. It's just not there, right? True. Xbox is definitely right. the best as far as mm-hmm. that stuff goes. Um, Nintendo's online offerings are pathetic at best. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> even, you know, they're flagship titles that have online components like they 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 offer nothing in comparison to what xbox 360 has for you so it is the best of the services that are out there they are constantly adding new content um constantly adding new services like you're talking about the video chat with your friends etc etc there's there's always new stuff going on with that so obviously like those costs have to be absorbed somewhere It'd be nice if they could find another way to absorb the costs. Um, but somebody who went got a lot more schooling than me and makes a lot more money than any of us, the three of us combined probably, mm-hmm. sat down and crunched all these numbers and said, if we charge an extra $10, we'll come out even or we'll come out ahead a dollar per subscription, but we get to offer all this extra stuff or you know yada yada. And so mm-hmm. obviously as a consumer, I don't want to have to pay another extra $10, but as somebody who works in a game industry, like I can look at it and say, okay, I understand this. Mm-hmm. Um, am I excited to off give, give Microsoft another $10? No, I'll probably go out in like October and buy a bunch of $38 year cards. So I get like the next three years for $38 <laughs> instead of uh, $60. Smart. But um, yeah, but you know, really like, Ten dollars a year isn't going to break my back, and it's not going to yeah, break over, my back. Yeah, over a year subscription, it's not as bad for sure. It's like I mean, buying a new game. Just people play World of Warcraft. They pay what fifteen dollars a month, so one hundred and eighty dollars a year. Yeah, and then if there's microtransactions in their product, they pay it. Think about all the people that are playing all these Facebook games that have all these microtransactions, and they spend a dollar uh-huh. here and a buck fifty there and whatever else. Like, like in a month, most those people will pay more than $10 in that month for that game. And Xbox, really, they're asking for $10 over the course of a year. So that's less than a dollar a month of a boost that they're offering in comparison to what you get at any of their competitors. So I think, you know, when you look at it that way, like $10 a a year is pretty reasonable, especially since you're already making an investment when you're buying an Xbox, right? Like, because you're going to spend X number of $100 on the system, Plus controllers, you're going to spend sixty dollars on each game, um, and so you're already investing this money in. So another, you know, eighty-five cents a month isn't going to isn't going to break your back if that's what your like passion is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in addition to making all that money, they can funnel it all into R and D. They're making the you know Microsoft Connect. I still kind of want to say Natal every now and again. It's Natal. It'll it, always it, be it Natal. Should, it should totally be Natal. But they've also been making a new. Xbox 360 controller due out on November 9th with a transforming D-pad. Oh my goodness, is that the what you've always wanted? In disguise. Yes. So they've changed the color scheme a little bit too. The uh, the face buttons are now shades of gray, going on a gray scale, which is I'm going to say is a little bit frustrating because when you're trying to teach people, you know, how to play the Xbox, they they don't necessarily go with A, B, X, Y. They see green, red blue, yellow, and to make these different forms of gray, not not a fan of that, but the key is that you rotate this D-pad, which people have been having you know problems with for years, although I think the D-pad complaints are a little paltry, to be honest, because you don't use the D-pad too, honest, uh, too often, to be honest, and if you're playing a fighter seriously on a Xbox 360 controller, I'm going to say you're probably not doing it right if you want to be really, really competitive. 
I personally use the analog stick for my fighters, but that's just me. But here's the key, was when you rotate this new D-pad 90 degrees, apparently counterclockwise, it elevates, and there's like a disc under it, so it elevates a little bit, so it gives that new, uh, little more motion to it, instead of just being locked into a D-pad position. It's something you gotta see a video, so they've got this, you know, Major Nelson's got a video on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this at all. It's going to be bundled $65 in a plug-and-play kit, which is the same price as a normal plug-and-play bundle, or play-and-charge, rather, is their, their branding. Interesting idea, but I think if you're trying to go after this for just because people have complaints about the D-pad when most of the time you use analog sticks for games, it's a fix, but I'm not sure if it's a fix you necessarily need. Yeah, I'm more complaining about the colors than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have an Xbox. I don't have room to talk. But mm-hmm. Yeah, the the color change seems kind of silly to me, particularly if they want to continue to reach out to the casual market because shades of gray, like like if I'm trying to teach my wife to play a game and I'm like, uh, press the, the, the light gray. Which light gray? <laughs> the, the, the 25% gray. <laughs> like, the, like that... It's just not going to fly, you know? And so, like, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we want to get into this family thing, you know? They've got their whole arcade thing that they release, and they're, they've got quiz games, and they've got family games, and then they've got the Xbox Connect where you've got all the motion stuff, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, we want to reach out to family games, but then they make their controller harder to understand. Like, that, those two things just don't sync up, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. that's a, it's, it's a silly move. It's, it's some, like, douchebag executive was like, how do we make ourselves more edgy? Like, let's make our controller less less kitty, you know, and so it, this, like, it tumbles downhill and somebody finally does it, and, um, but that's, that's, that was a foolish mistake. I do really like the, the D-pad adjustment, and, like, people always complain, well, why does their D-pad suck so bad? There have been D-pads for 30 years now, and people have been, you know, playing on these and yada yada. Well, the, the real reason is because all of the D-pad patents are tied up at Nintendo and Sony, and a handful of other companies, right? That's why Microsoft's D-pad sucked, is because they had to build one that didn't infringe on any patents that Nintendo or Sony or Atari or Sega had, right? Mm -hmm. And so they put one together as best as they could for this console, but then when you want to when you want to play a fighting game, it turned out that it stunk. And when you wanted to play certain other games, it turned out that it wasn't good. It wasn't responsive enough. So they went back to the drawing board, and now they're providing some people with something that hopefully will be responsive enough and unique enough that A, it won't infringe on any patents, and B, it's going to be really responsive and fun to use in, in the game. Right. I think the D-pad's positioning is just too awkward on that controller. I, I mean, I think that you need to just reach your thumb too far out and... That's why I just go with the analog stick because it's it's properly placed for my thumb. But anyway, moving on, we have an epic crossover of epicness coming soon from Telltale Games. They tease that it would feed, they would have a uh, cryptic crossover between Homestar Runner, Penny Arcade, Sam and Max, and Team Fortress 2. Well, it turns out Heavy, Strong Bad, Tycho, and Max are teaming up for and and let me let me get this name right. Poker Knight at the inventory. So it's going to be a gambling game of sorts. It's going to be $5 when it comes out for the PC. Um, just the thought alone seems pretty epic, but the fact that it's $5 for you know a gambling game I th- might just be worth the price for a PC owner. Crossover games are fantastic. I like when universes collide. I guess that's why I like Smash Brothers. But 
Yeah, I've always been a fan of the crossover. I remember back during the 90s when Marvel and DC did their crossover comics, and I was always stoked for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, this one, it, it's kind of like when you're checking out at the register at Target or Walmart or whatever, and they've got, like, the magazines and a handful of toys and candy bars and stuff that's right there by the register. Yes. Like, that's what this kind of game is, right? It's like a, hey, it's just a couple of bucks. Why don't you throw some money our way? Look, it's cool. It's flashy. So don't expect it to be like, don't expect it to knock your socks off, but it'll probably be a fun little $5 purchase. So if you want a couple hours of diversion and um, you're into one of these series, then yeah, it's probably worth throwing five bucks at. But otherwise, like, I'm, I'm going to pass. I'm not that interested, so. Well, yeah, that, that's where all the value comes from, is you, if you really need to be a fan of all the series. Well, not all of them, but at least most of them to mm-hmm. really appreciate it. But, like, I like Sam and Max. I like Homestar. Um, I'm not so much a, a Team Fortress fan, but um, I do like Penny Arcade, so it is something I would look at. We'll see. Yeah, Strong Bad's definitely my main draw there, that's for sure. Anyway, this is something we, you know, a lot of fans are are clamoring for us to at least mention the game, so it's something we definitely had to br- uh, bring up. This next story, however, is very interesting. Um, you know, we, there's, there have been, you know, video games kinds of courses at uh, colleges. I know I took one that was, you know, video games as a form and a medium and all that, but when you get courses on specific games, there's always been the one that um, maybe it was, I think it might have been at Oberlin College, there was like a, a Smash Brothers course. You remember that from Smash Brothers, right? Yeah, actually, um, I'm pretty sure that, I don't know how many listeners know OmniGamer. He's been a mod at Smashboards mm-hmm. for a long time, and I think he helped that guy come up with right. his curriculum for that, that class. So, yes, I do remember that. that. That does sound right, that it was him who was kind of involved with it. But now the University of Florida is adding StarCraft studies, and also Portal is becoming required reading at Wabash College. For uh, it's you know freshmen at Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana, this year will be required to wield Gilgamesh, Aristotle's Politics, the Poetry of John Donne, Shakespeare's Hamlet, and Valve's Portal. Guys, I love the guys. If you look, I love the first comment on the article too. He's like, so if I can't beat Portal, would I fail the class? <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts of, of of you know video games becoming you know part of a collegiate curriculum? I've actually heard of this before. Um, I don't know if you've read some of the Serlin articles. He talked about a course he took about it was mainly analyzing pro StarCraft players' strategies and the kind of the math behind all the how units do damage and all this complex stuff. I'm not sure if it's exact, the exact same kind of course, but um, it's becoming more and more popular. It just seems how these things are kind of piercing our culture and make it into college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think this goes back to the whole, like, our video games art debate, right? Right, right. Um, And I I think emphatically, yes, they're art. But whether you believe they're art or not, they become incredibly important to our culture. Um, And so they're an important part of our cultural heritage of the last 30 or 40 years as Americans, and worldwide even. I mean, you look at Korea, um, you look at Japan, the type of business that goes on there and the culture that's arisen there. Um, You look at uh, game development that's even arisen in... um, old eastern bloc countries. I mean, I can, if I need to get a a game done for cheap, I can go to the Ukraine or Estonia or something like that and I can find game developers there. So, uh, video games are a worldwide phenomenon and they involve art, they involve music, they involve math, 
um, they involve business. So they're they're uh, as an industry, you can't ignore them anymore, right? They're they're a, a force. Video games mm-hmm. are a force in in the world now. Um, and so it makes sense that eventually these things would start to become uh, something that you need to be educated about, so that you understand your culture, so that you understand other cultures, so that you understand history, um, so that you understand business. Um, there are some really great business cases to be made from how both what to do and what not to do. Um, if you look at the games industry, I mean, you can look at the rise and fall and the rise again of Nintendo. You can look at um, the emergence of Sega and how it fell off the map. I mean, there's 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 stuff all the way across the game industry that is valuable and important things that you can learn from. So, of course, colleges, as people who grew up playing video games, become policymakers, become professors, etc. I mean, if you look at me, like I'm 28, right? right. No one say the no one say the the next decade that's coming up. Okay, I'm scared enough as it is of hitting that three zero number. But <laughs> uh, people who are older than me were certainly into video games, into Ataris in the 70s, right? So now you've got people that are pushing 40 maybe even older than that, that were very into video games um, growing up. And so now these people are at the age and stage in their career where they have authority, where they have money to spend, where they have a perspective that that didn't exist even 10 years ago at senior levels in universities. And now that's kind of, it's it's maturing, you know? And so it's, it's obviously going to come out. And certainly there's things that you can learn from Portal. Certainly there's things you can learn from playing Halo, both about business, both about strategy, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Like you were talking about Buzz with the StarCraft course. Mm-hmm. There's things about mathematics. There's things about game theory that you can derive from video games. And I mean game theory in the sense of um, mathematics, not yeah, in yeah. theory of making games, right? <laughs> but um, there's so much that you can learn from these because they're an expression of our culture that um, I, I think it's it's totally natural that it's going this direction, and I think before probably in the next twenty years you'll see it at, at every major university that there will be some level of study of video games that'll be maybe not a required course, but at least an elective. I mean, you can take studies on uh, any number of ethnicities and cultures and whatever else at university. So why not video games? Well, especially if video games continue on this trend that they have right now with just a massive escalation of you know popularity. And Portal especially, it's all about problem solving. And, you know, universities want to, you know, churn out minds that solve problems and do things in the world. So Portal is a great example. And StarCraft is, is StarCraft. It's... It's massive, and it's 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 so popular for a reason, it, because it does all these things so well. So, those games in particular, and Smash. I know someone who is, you know, if some of you know Boyer, he's you know studying game theory, you know, heavily right now, and getting into economics and all that. And you know, he's a he's a high level Smash player, so he's you know really studying that. So these games absolutely are have you know academic qualities to them. Even though some people like Roger Ebert, who don't think video games are art, may st- you know stick fast to their opinions. Yep. We had that mail time question um, about what get what game we would present to him to mm-hmm. demonstrate that games are art, and I actually chose Portal. So yeah. I mean to toot my own little horn a little bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Portal I just think is a perfect example because it's it's this brilliant mix of all things we love about it, uh, all about culture and art. You know, we have a good story and then you have a good puzzle solving and a good, 
just it's a, it's a nice short game, I guess, too. Another right. quality about it, but right. I would ask him to play Barbie Horse Adventures <laughs> <laughs> or Le- Leisure Suit Larry. Leisure Suit Larry, yes, that's high art yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> quality, awesome. quality. Before we talk about uh, Metroid Other M, we got a couple quick PlayStation news tidbits. First of all, uh, PlayStation Move releases on September seventh. Uh, so, you know, you have your big uh, media outlets for video games, Kotaku, IGN, uh, GameSpot, etc., who are starting to, you know, give reviews of all that, and they it seems to be pretty favorable. I want to ask you, Jason, M3D, um, you know, you, new PS3 owner yourself, are you considering picking up the move, or are you still attached to the whole, you know, it's, it's you know, four- or five-year-old tech. It, of course it's going to be better. No, I have no interest in in the move. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. but I I enjoy my Wii, but um, just as a like, I, I'm not blown away with motion controls. Whoa, geez, I just tried to open up the chat in the Stickam channel, and now I'm and hearing my own voice echo. Uh, you have to mute the okay, yeah, I mute the Stickam, then you'll then you should be fine. Wow. Okay, sorry, that freaked me out for a second there. Echo, echo, echo. I muted it, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, echo, echo. Um, yeah, so, no interest. No interest for me. Oh, hey, did you guys know that you can't mute the commercials? That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Not a um, anyways, okay, so let me get back to this. No interest. Uh, motion controls don't, like, tickle my fancy that much. I They're cool when you want to play, like, Wii Bowling or something like that, but by and large, I'm happy just pressing buttons, and um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's definitely, like, a future for motion control, and obviously all three companies are heavily invested in it right now, um, but uh, I'm not going to pay another $150 for that and then buy a 3D television from Sony and their 3D glasses and I mean Sony just wants to take every penny of your bank account anyways with all the technology that they release so mm-hmm. um, not going to happen no I'm not going to get Xbox Connect either no interest yes I, I have if I had a PS3 I would have less interest in Connect than Move um, you know I, I did try Move at E3 and like it is better than the Wii Remote, but it absolutely has to be better than the Wii Remote. There's no excuse for it not to be better. Um, so, you know, aside from the games that they're trying to, you know, port, they're re-releasing Heavy Rain with Move support. They're doing Resident Evil 5 Killzone 2 with uh, Move support. SOCOM 4 is going to be a big push for them. But aside from that, you know, it's a lot of similar Wii kind of ports. Yeah, Sports Champions, and I would admit, I'm a sucker for those kind of sports mini-games because... I'm a sports junkie, what can I say? But, I, I mean, and I did enjoy that, but when you have games like iPet, and you have games like The Fight, which never really worked that well for me, that, I don't know, it's 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 definitely also a big money suck for, you know, you got like the $100 bundle with the iToy and whatever, but when you have to think of multiple controllers, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. Um... Now, Buzz, we had talked last week about the PS3 jailbreaking, and you you have here, I, I need to point this out, in our outline it says, PS3 jailbreak is on the move. No pun intended. <laughs> um, Just ha- happened to play out that way. So it's, it's not a big... definitely intended. Mm-hmm. Oh, hush. Um, I mean, it's not a big news bit, but it's just a little note that I noticed on Slashdot. Um, I mean, even even the link itself is like three sentences long, but they're just pointing out that this jailbreak that just came about for PS3, it's starting to pick up 
Steam, and and uh, there's an open source uh, piece of software you can use to to jailbreak your PS3. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it still requires some hardware. You, it requires some tools to do the to do the trick, but it's getting to the point where the PS3 is broken and you can play burned games or whatever. So we'll see how that develops over the next month or so. I don't know. This is apparently though it's it's apparently banned in Australia. Um, they're definitely taking these guys to court. It, they're making I think much. Oh, yeah. They're making much ado about this. And um, well, I mean, if if you think about it, g- given the reputation and how effective they've been at combating piracy in this manner. Mm-hmm. They're gonna fight it, you know, tooth and nail. And this is the first time we've seen signs of it being cracked, and they're like, "No, no, this can't happen." <laughs> so they're gonna do everything they can to to stop it. Well, I so. think I read that this is apparently, you know, derived from you know a, a PS3 game kit. So, you know, Sony, I'm sure, knows a workaround. Uh, it's it's gonna yeah. be like the game with Nintendo. They know the workarounds, so they're gonna release stuff. Will the people choose to update? And we'll they'll be playing that game. So go figure. Um, did you read anything about the the PS3 jailbreaking? Did you have any thoughts on uh, 3D? Um, I've seen a little bit about it. I saw an article a couple of months ago about somebody who was just trying to do like a pure hardware crack on it. Mm-hmm. And essentially, this guy he had cracked the PSP multiple times. He was always the first to do this stuff, and he had been working on the PS3 basically since it came out, mm-hmm. and he could not find it. And they, at one point, they thought they had something, um, and they started to investigate it. And this was back when you could run Linux on the PS3, yeah. and then Sony released the patch to patch out Linux support. Um, which probably they were onto something, and and Sony like kind of uh, headed them off at the pass, so to speak. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think you know, going to the our discussion about used games coming up here, I think that um, the people have a right to do with their hardware what they want to do with their hardware, um, and so. But I also think the companies have the right to do what they want to do with the software releases that they make. So it's going to be an everlasting war. I don't think either side is particularly wrong. Um, and I just, you know, I'm just glad to see that the industry is healthy enough that this sort of stuff goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This means I get to keep paying my bills. There you go. Um, out recently, you know, there are games like Mafia 2 and Shank, but the big one for, you know, podcast fans, you have so many people who were really excited about Metroid Other M. And if I'm correct, both of you guys haven't played it yet, but what were your impressions just from, you know, videos that you may have seen or stuff from E3? Just quick impressions before I give my thoughts on uh, what I played. I'm scared. You're I'll just scared. say I'm scared of it right now because um, I've, like, I've, I've watched some reviews, and of course everyone tells me, don't watch the reviews, play the game yourself, and I, and I agree with them. But here's my problem. I had... I was skeptical the first time it was announced. That's why I'm so scared of these reviews. Is when they first announced we're going to do this half third person, half first person system. I was kind of like, mm, I'm a prime addict. I'm not going to lie. I liked you know the, the full first person, the full adventure, and so I'm eager to try it. My friend has it, and that's why I have no excuse to not play it yet. I need to get down and play it, but um, I just have my doubts just because I didn't like the the whole premise to begin with. Yeah. That's just my thought. So. Um, for me, I don't really have a lot to say, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not a huge Metroid fan. Like, I like Metroid games, and I've played them, but I haven't played all three Prime games, and 
Um, so it, for me, it's like, hey, you know what? If they do a good job and the fans are happy, then I'm happy for them. Um, I probably won't buy the game, but I'll probably try it at a friend's house or something like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's all I got. You like for it because it was made by Team Ninja. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about Team Ninja. They're, they're not my favorite developers. Ninja Logic is actually my favorite developers. Those there you go. Favorite there favorite you, go. <laughs> you may just be a little bit partial there with uh, Ninja Logic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Metroid Other M, yeah, I was kind of skeptical too at first. Because um, when I tried it at E3, I got stuck at you know one part during the, the purple tentacle boss at the beginning, and I had no idea why I was getting stuck. I was trying to go back to you know, sideways from first person and it wasn't working. So I, I, was, I was left with a bitter taste in my mouth, to be honest. But, you know, and I think I think what you think about Metroid Other M really depends on which game you prefer. If you're a Super Metroid fan or if you like Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance or if you're a Prime person like I am. I love Metroid Prime, you know, far more than Super Metroid. And that may be, you know, heresy to, to some people, but... I think that you know it's def- the game is definitely styled more off of uh, more Metroid Fusion than Super Metroid, but it it goes back to those 2D roots. Um, the game looks phenomenal on the Wii. Let's just say that the uh, the graphics are splendid. They really really outdid themselves on uh, Nintendo and Team Ninja. I mean, with all the sculpting they put in Samus's ass. I mean, oh jeez. <laughs> um, that aside, it, you know. The cutscenes are directed really well. The The main problem I had was the voice acting, and it's it's always been that problem when you give a character who's usually been silent, and you know they they give voices in text, but when you finally give them a voice, a, a speaking role, it's... Samus really came off as too monotone for me. I know some people said they were okay with it, that but then again, like they weren't too critical on voices and all that, that it's just a voice. I had... A concern with it. I think um, Anthony, the guy that people most recognize is Remember Me. Um, he came off as just a black stereotype for me. I think people really like the character just because of that catchphrase, but I wasn't a fan. I think Adam Malkovich was the character presentation that I appreciated the most. The plot was a little bit stale, but it worked well fitting into the Metroid canon. It was you know, all about biotic weapons and government conspiracy and all that i'm you know it was like metal gear mixed with resident evil kind of where where in the metroid mythology does this take place is this a prequel is this a this is this at the end is this like the latest in a long string of events this this yeah this fits perfectly between right after super metroid and right before metroid fusion so they start the game with the whole, it's like a huge, you know, cinematic uh, take on the whole, oh, you know, Samus is in trouble against Metroid, our uh, mother brain, and the last baby Metroid comes and saves her, and then, okay, mother, it's time to go down, or something like that. So they do that whole cutscene and then kind of blend it into the story, and it leads up to Metroid Fusion. Um, so that's where it fits in the canon. Um but I mean, I, th- I think the gameplay. Uh, continuing on, the gameplay. Um, it's basic, you know. And, and I'm never a fan of the sideways Wii remote. I think it's a really fundamental and you know simplistic way of controlling a game. 
I think, you know, well, Sonic and the Secret Rings was just the worst experience possible with a sideways Wii remote. <laughs> um, but, you know, this game does well. I mean, you go in Morph Ball with A, you lay bombs with one, you jump with two. Same thing when you're in normal, you jump with two, you fire with one. And the camera works well when you're moving with the D-pad. You'd think you'd miss an analog stick, but you don't really. Uh, dodging works well on the side, and... The whole mixed perspectives of pointing the remote to the screen to go into first person is strange, but it, it, it's it's definitely physically awkward to keep moving back and forth. But I think it it well, it does the job my well. My question, with, yeah. my question was, is it responsive? Because, it is responsive. Okay, because my my fear on that particular part is in other games I play on the Wii, mm-hmm. um, getting it to switch from going to sideways to pointing and getting the cursor to come back and show up like it just sucks and maybe that's the game's fault maybe that's not the Wii's fault but yeah. that, that was the one thing I was scared of in other M. The, the change is sharp but it's it's really just the only awkward thing is just like you know you're physically going back and forth between the two that's the only strange part right. but the game is definitely picks up on you know when you're pointing at the screen and where you're pointing at so if you sit in a good spot it's it's not a problem at all with the the sensor bar and all that um the game does really weird things uh, with pacing. Like, they they have moments where you're forced into first person and you can only move on when you notice certain things that are hidden. That That's probably the worst thing the game does because it just grinds things to a halt. For all the fast motion and the high-flying action that you know Team Ninja loves to do, when you have to notice things like green blood on the green grass to move on the cutscene or like a little you know a little fruit that's hidden among vegetation pretty frustrating um it also does things like during the final boss you have to actually hit the boss when you're forced into first person you know don't mind the three huge enemies that are trying to kill you you have to shoot <laughs> you know the final boss that's like kind of small and hidden in you know along the way it's it, they make some strange choices, but overall, you know, some some reviews have the game as you know terrible, atrocious pieces of mess like G4's X Play, which mm-hmm. is just absolutely wrong. I think they they were just mostly focusing on like Morgan Webb was doing the review, so it's just like oh they took, they took Samus who was a badass and spoke for you know girls and made her so whiny, and yeah, she is whiny, but it doesn't break the entire game. The gameplay is fun. I think it's a good game. I wouldn't say it's a great game, but then well, again, look, this nobody is... nobody takes G four seriously, right, let alone right. X play. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like thirteen, <laughs> and no offense to the thirteen year olds that are out there, but let's get real. G four sucks, and X plays. It's just a couple of people's opinions, and they get ratings by being nasty to people and making bad jokes. So mm-hmm. right, whatever. Two out of five stars is not a fair review for this game at all. I, you know, it's it's. I'd give it around an eight out of ten if I had to give a numeric figure at all. So, um, I I enjoyed the game though, and we hundred percented it, and it does a lot of great uh, references back to the the Metroid fans and the Metroid can. They do some nice boss fights. It's it's definitely a, it's a gotta at least try it if you're a Metroid fan, but that goes without saying. So now we want to go into the big discussion on used games, and you know it's it, I think it's mostly centered around GameStop, and you know Buzz, you came across this first and said you know we we gotta have this in the show, and you know if we can have uh, M3D on the show to you know do this little debate, that'd be excellent. Um, you have this original THQ announcement. You want to talk about that? 
Yeah. Um, this is, as far as I know, this is the source of all the commotion. All, all I know is that I woke up one day, checked my RSS reader, my you know my internet articles follower program, and it. I came up with all these articles about oh used games are evil. No used game sales are good. No used like I was like why is everyone talking about used games all of a sudden? Like I've heard this discussion before. I've discussed it before, but it seemed like this month was the month of used games. Anyway, it all seems to come from this article from THQ. Uh, well, sorry, the article comes from ComputerAndVideoGames.com. It's about THQ, who said that pre-owned games cheat developers. That was, those were their words. And the reason this is coming about is they're releasing one of their latest games, the wrestling game, um, SmackDown vs. Raw 2011. Um, they're giving a code that only works with the first-hand buyers to let them play in multiplayer on online. And this has raised a whole lot of fuss because people are thinking, why are you denying me access just because I bought it used? Like, and their response is, well, because you didn't give us any money. You know, you're a second-hand buyer. You didn't you didn't promote us, so we're not going to give you the benefit of the multiplayer. So, you know, from there, there's been, if you look at Penny Arcade, you look at other blogs, you look at sites all over the internet, they all have different stances on this. They all have taken different positions, and there's a kind of a big kind of blogosphere debate going on about it. And so what I did is I kind of dug through all these articles and kind of pulled out the most prominent arguments um, against used games, and we're going to kind of break them down and discuss them here. So the first point that really comes across um, here on my list is when you purchase a game, you do not actually own the game. It is more akin to buying a ticket to see a movie. And so thoughts on that. Um, Yoko, what do you think of that first? I think that's it's not at all the same. Um, you know, video games and movies are just completely different as far as you know your interaction with them. Movies, you're you're you sit there and you're suspending your disbelief. It's a one-time use thing for a ticket to see a movie. You can't go back into a theater with a ticket and say, "This is my ticket from a few days ago. Can I see the movie again? <laughs> I want to play this game again, but can I see the movie again with this ticket?" No, it, it, that's not how it works. Video games, you're a lot more interactive. You take an active you know role in how the game develops. Um, I think. Well, there's another. Uh, you know, argument that you have here that is well, a little I, more I, ridiculous, but I'm I disagree 100% with that statement. Well, versus I, expanded I, outline, you say you've got these arguments here. I don't have the arguments. You guys, you know. guys like well, mess. I'm reading them to you anyway. He updated so them this up. morning. He kind of screwed like, you out there. You're like, okay, Jason, we're gonna we're gonna make me answer off the cuff on all of these. I see how it is. <laughs> it's like it's like spot. hazing. <laughs> well, no. The, the 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 headline point was that uh, they say when you purchase a game, you don't actually own it. It's just it's more akin to buying a ticket to see a movie. And uh, I was just going to comment before letting you take the floor for a second. Just that um, to me, buying a movie ticket is more akin to putting a quarter in at the arcade. Like you know, you buy a movie ticket because you're going into a theater that you don't own to watch a screen you don't own you with big speakers you don't own. And, you know, to me, that's more along the lines of you, you play an arcade. You know, you don't own the arcade. You don't own any of it. You pay just to enjoy the game for a short period. But they, they're trying to say that, you know, you don't buy games, you license games. Therefore, you shouldn't be able to resell them at all. So, um, thought, Jason, thoughts on that? 
Um, you know, I think the problem is incredibly complex and it boils down to how we view intellectual property, quote unquote, in the United States, but also kind of across the developed world. Um, and, you know, also kind of how we define a product and how the products have kind of shifted from a, a physical media to a digital media and all that type of stuff. And, you know, if you look at like the, um, if you look at the the, the music industry, right? So mm-hmm. th- things have changed where, like, you, you get this CD, right? And so if you get this CD, it's a physical media. And so you say, okay, I bought a physical media for this property. I, I bought the right to listen to this music whenever I want to. So mm-hmm. to protect my investment, I'm going to rip that to my hard drive and put it on my iPod and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Well, right, the, right. the music industry wants to say, no, 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 no. You bought... You brought the right to listen to it on that CD. You bought a license for that for, or you you mm-hmm. bought that physical product, right? So they make it basically like okay, so but then if the CD breaks, th- them saying that you bought a license for it goes away. They want you to then pay for a new Another piece one. of physical media for yeah. it, right? Yeah. So now their argument flips. It goes from you, you you're paying for a license to you're paying for a product, and so what they want is they want it both ways. And I think I think that attitude has started to filter into the game industry, particularly because it's incredibly expensive to make games now. It used it to be that yeah. when people made video games, it was one guy or three guys who had an idea, they put a game together, and most of the time they gave it away for free to their friends or to use groups or whatever else, right? And so the game industry has, like continually evolved and now it's it's a huge it's a ridiculous endeavor now to make a video game at the high level you know i mean it takes it takes dozens if not hundreds of people to make a triple a title work especially Mm -hmm. if you boil down to all of the testers and all that stuff right so now there's so much investment in it and people have this this thought that you have to get as much out of it as you can and really like if you guys look at the the game industry, like most games are stinkers, right? There's mm-hmm. so many products yep. out there that don't make their money back. And so when products do make their money back, companies feel like they have to milk it for every penny that they can get out of it because that's what lets them fund all of the stinkers that don't fly, you know? And part of yep. that, that's part of the thing that goes back to people complaining about, well, there's not enough innovation in the game industry. It's driven by sequels and licensed properties. And well, yeah, because that stuff sells, you know? Mm-hmm. I saw this article the other day about how, like, um, it says why geeks can't have nice things, <laughs> right? And basically what it did is it outlined all these geek movies that have come out in the last, like, two years and how there was all this, this buzz about it. Um, and like snakes on a plane, like it started off as a joke and then it got made and they stuck Samuel L. Jackson in it and they made him say his catchphrase over and over again, which I think this is a PG or PG 13 rated podcast, so I won't repeat it, but everyone knows what what, what, what he says. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so it, it, there was all this buzz, right? And then the movie makes, it grosses like 30 million. Right, so the company they'll make the movie and then they'll spend fifty million on marketing to try and pump it up, and then it makes like thirty million in the box office. Right, the same thing is just happening now with um, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Right, they spent like eighty million dollars on marketing, and the movie's grossed like it. It, it came in like third at the box office or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 
you make this huge investment and then it doesn't return on itself. And that happens a lot in the game industry too. You know, like people say, oh yeah, we love this game. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's a huge idea. We love it. And then when the game actually gets released, like the money isn't there. Like the people don't support it the way that they should, or that audience is a lot smaller than you thought. They were just making a lot of noise. Um, and so these game, these, these game companies like, they keep making sequels, they keep making licensed products because it guarantees money. And so when these games do make money, they they have the feeling, they have the sense that they deserve, whoa, my dogs just ran in the room. Hey, doggies. Um, hi, doggies. Okay. Um, they have this sense that they deserve to be paid every time this game is played, that every time somebody's enjoying it, they deserve mm -hmm. some cut of the action, right? And so that's kind of where this attitude comes from. It's like, hey, we have to make money on this if we're going to stay in business. And when a game is huge, we have to keep making money on it anytime it's it's mentioned. You know, it's like like Star Wars. There are so many things about the Star Wars universe that are copyrighted and and trademarked and whatever else that anything that sounds like a Star Wars thing, like you're going to get a cease and desist notice from from LucasArts telling you that they own this stuff. Uh, or ILM or whoever else owns the trademark or the copyright. So they're going to go after it, every opportunity they've got to get money out of it. And I think that's what's happening now is like when you have a game like Call of Duty come out and millions of people buy it and millions of people buy Xbox Live subscriptions just so that they can play this game online. And then the Activision CEO goes, you know, we don't really see any of the money from that, even though all these people are playing Xbox Live. Like they, it's like sour grapes, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. yep. well, we're generating this business for you, so we should be getting a cut of this. And, um, you know, it's I, I understand the sentiment. It's just... You can't do. It's not healthy. You can't do anything about it. You're not going to get anywhere. Well, You're better and off. You, doing you just highlighted um, item number two, so I'll interrupt you for just a second. Um, argument number two was that when you purchase a game secondhand, none of the money makes it to the original developers and the publishers, and that's another thing that they that they emphasize greatly is that why should we care about secondhand buyers? Why, why should we allow that? We don't get any of that money, so we're not going to support that. And right. uh, and you you sort of mentioned that just now how yeah like they're saying hey none of that money makes it back to us why should we support it and so mm -hmm. right. yeah it's it's a it's a very serious issue I don't think that they have to that's the thing like like going back to what I was saying before like with the right mm -hmm. of first sale I believe in the right of first sale I think if you buy a physical product which games as of right now are a physical product maybe that changes in the next ten years and it all goes digital but for right now when I buy a CD I have the right to resell that CD if yep. I want to but I think the game companies also have the right to do what they want with the product they create. So um, th that may impact whether you choose to buy it or not, new, used, or otherwise. But right. um, it, I, I think that everyone is entitled to try to get their, their piece of the action and try and get things worked out. And eventually what you have to do is you have to find a, a middle ground that works for everybody. And right now that middle ground is the used games thing. And there's sour grapes on both sides about about mm -hmm. their attitudes and who's getting what money and yada yada. But right now, that's working for the consumers and the publishers and whatever else. And it, mm -hmm. let's if let's let's get real here. This is something I brought up in a discussion we had on Smash Bros. the other day. If the publishers really didn't like what, what GameStop was doing, if they if they really like didn't want used game markets, they would just stop sending them the new games. Yep they would marginalize them some other way. But what's really happening here is GameStop generates probably millions 
if not billions of dollars in marketing material for yeah. them on their behalf because it supports the GameStop's business. So even though the publisher isn't getting like outright cash, when GameStop, when you walk into the store and eight GameStop employees go, "Hey, do you want to pre-order this? Hey, do you want to pre-order this?" That every like every if you think of that like a, a, an impression on a website, like if you got an advertisement, think about that. That's like a penny every time one of those jerks like looks at you and goes. Well, you should really pre-order this, otherwise you won't get a copy. Every single time they're saying the name of the game. It's like this constant advertising in your face, pressing you to buy, pressing you to spend more money, yada, yada. And so they are getting something out of this this business. They're just not getting cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's so, true. I mean, it, there are a lot of steps they could take to, um, if they really want to just sever that relationship, they definitely could. But they just, they know better. Right. There's there's still there's still a value in there. There's still money in there. But what they're trying to do is they're they're trying to use the power of the media and the the yeah, conscience of the gamers to get more money out of this one way or another. Whether it's convincing it's, people to buy new or what. It's just a bizarre argument argument to me because just at the most fundamental level, you know, I buy a chair, well, I can resell that chair. And when you then you introduce intellectual property, well, I buy a movie. No one's ever had problem with used movies, but for some reason, games are different. Like, I don't know, may- maybe some directors feel the same way, but in generally speaking, no one bats an eye when, they, when, it, when it comes to selling used movies. It's like, that's legal, well, it's accepted, but when it comes to games, it's suddenly it's a new issue. Right, and I think, I think part of the issue here is that um, when a d- developer, when, when you buy a game used, right, and you go online to play it, the developer is paying for, or the publisher is paying for, the servers that you're playing it on, right? Right. So you use a service that they are providing mm-hmm. without providing them with any income for that service. And I think that's that's probably like the biggest like like hook in the argument that I could give on behalf of the publishers is that yeah. um e- even though it's not like you're getting a game that nobody paid for like like you're extending the life and extending the load on the servers probably that would mm-hmm. otherwise have faded away and would have cost them fewer dollars to keep up by using their online services. So I think that may be where some of this uh, this recent stuff has come up, where they're saying, hey, look, mm-hmm. if you buy it new, you can play it online. Otherwise, deal with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. perfect example of like how you know the full money isn't exactly making it back to the you know, the publishers and all that, when we went to GameStop recently to, you know, pick up our hard copy of uh, Metroid Other M, GameStop, you know, lo and behold, it's it circles around them because they are the, the big dog in this, you know, commercially. Um, they had a deal where you you trade in, you know, two Wii games that are on a, a big long list, and you get $40 off Metroid Other M. So we had spare copies of, you know, Zelda Twilight Princess and Brawl, that you know we did pay full price for back in the day, but now they're going on, and then you know it it takes we got we got Metroid Other M for ten bucks, you know they're not getting Nintendo's not getting the full price back because of a uh, a practice like GameStop or used games you, and all that. You you traded in Brawl. We still have a copy, but you know, uh-huh. so we Is just it, just don't have two lying around. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> To counter your argument there, um, if you do trade in games towards a a purchase at GameStop, like mm-hmm. Nintendo's not going to get less money because of that. GameStop's going uh-huh. to pay full price for it. But That's true. what GameStop does is they offer these lists because those products have a a, har- a high margin of return. Mm-hmm. 
So what they'll look at is like if somebody trades in Smash Brothers, we'll pay you eight dollars for it, and then we'll resell it for thirty-five. Right, right. Well, that's a higher profit than what we would get for the ten dollars that you would give us for this game. So we're going to give you what looks like a sweet deal because what it really does is it generates money for us. Gotcha. <laughs> the more you know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the next well, thing, Buzz. You know. <laughs> I was going to say I'm actually. Know I could sing. <laughs> um, I'm going to actually skip to number four. I'll come back to number three, but this one kind of, I think, fits better to kind of where we're headed. Um, some publishers will outright state, if you have purchased a game secondhand, you are not a true fan of the product. We reserve our best material for the actual paying fans. That drives me crazy. It it drives me nuts. I agree. I, and I, because uh, to, here's my issue with all, I'll just say something before I turn the floor over to you guys. It's just that what... If, if someone who buys a game secondhand, if they're quote unquote not a true fan, and oh you're terrible because you you didn't you didn't buy it firsthand, you bought it secondhand, so you're not you're not on our side. Well, what does that say about the guy who sold the game in the first place? Is he still your fan? He's your favorite fan because he paid you money. I mean, I mean, money is drives the business. I'm not saying otherwise, but I'm just trying to point out. Okay, well, whoever bought it firsthand, maybe they're not a fan anymore. They didn't like your game. That they're tired of it or whatever. They got rid of it. So it transferred over to someone else. You have a new fan. I, I don't agree at all that, oh, you didn't give us money directly, so you're not a fan. We don't but, like you. But see, Buzz, the keyword is true fan. <laughs> you're not you a can true have a fan, fan, but are you a true fan? It's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Well, and, and again, before I turn it over, just I'll just say right now, if it weren't for used sales, I wouldn't be fans of some series. And what happens is I'll buy something secondhand because that's the only way I know how to get it or, or just I'm too cheap at the moment. Mm-hmm. I become a fan. I'm in line for the first hand sale for the sequel or whatever. You know, there's there's other ways to get that return, and to me, it's just absurd that they would, you know, t- you know, turn a you know their nose up at you like, ha, you're not our fans. We're we're not gonna you know honor you at all. But anyway, uh, Jason, what are your thoughts? All right, so so the the stickum chat is probably gonna go crazy on me when I say this, but generally I agree with that statement, huh. and this mm-hmm. is why I believe get off the in yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I believe in paying more money for products that I think are quality, and I believe in paying for things that I think are quality. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I use Mac products. Um, that's why I think open source works, right? Because people put together this stuff for free, they invest their time, they create things that are quality, and then they find ways to monetize it, right? Yep. Um, so when I look at the game industry, I think if it, like, okay, last year the Conduit came out, right? I want more games like the Conduit on the Wii because I'm a Nintendo fan, because I'm a, a fan of first-person shooters, that sort of thing. So I bought the Conduit new because what I wanted to do was say to Sega, here is my money. I am I am supporting this product, right? When If I had gone and resold that game and then somebody else purchased it, that word never gets back to Sega that, hey, more people want more products like this with all that they see is the first sale. So even if the game is is successful, is like popular or whatever, it's not successful monetarily unless the people who are the true quote-unquote fans of it give them their money. That's another reason why I like the League of Legends game, right? It's free to play. You can unlock things in the game without paying a dime for it, but if you're a fan and you want to unlock things more quickly, you can invest some money in the company and you can throw some money their way and say, here, I support you because I think you're a quality company if you created a quality product, so please keep doing this. Um, If you're buying the game used, you're never sending that dollar sign feedback to the company that says, please keep doing this, I am a fan. Um, 
that that does that doesn't exist for the publisher if you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, what if there was a way to send that signal though? Because and, okay, and w- w- one second, just just so I can I can hit on this too. Buzz, you okay. said I became a fan of a series because I bought it used, mm-hmm. right? You were not a fan of the series when you purchased it used, right? So that statement remains true. You became Touché. a fan, and then you went and spent the money on the sequel new. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there is there is a value in the used market. I'm not saying there's not a value in the used market, but I would say that the true fans are the ones that are going to line up at midnight to purchase the game and take it home and give that the, that $60 or whatever chunk of it goes through the, the uh, retail chain to the publisher. Um, so in that way, you know, I would say if you can, if you can get that money to the publisher, to the guys that actually create the game, especially as a guy who creates games for a living, if you can get that money to them, you keep them in business, you keep them doing that work that you appreciate, that you enjoy. Otherwise, you're just Uh another spectator and maybe you get your entertainment dollars out of it, but you're not actually a fan of the company and those people if you're not getting them the money, as, as near as I can say. I mean, obviously there are economic situations and there are whatever, and you need to do the best thing that is best for you. But at the same time, a true mm-hmm. fan is a fanatic. It's somebody who fanatically supports somebody. So that's, that's well, what I have to say about that. I guess, I guess one area where I would draw the line is like, I understand. And I actually, I, now that I hear your, your, your full statement, I agree that you need to financially support the ones that you're a fan of. But where my concern comes in is when they attempt to make the secondhand sale a degraded experience. Because um, you're right. If, I, if, if, if I'm a fan of a series and I buy nothing but used copies, I'm not doing a whole lot as a fan to support them. Like, yes, I'm making the series more popular, but I'm not supporting them directly. But again, the, the, this issue is arising here of, you know, well, the secondhand sale is, is a degraded experience. I don't remember if it was Mass Effect or some other game. Um, there was a game that came out. I think it was Bioware. I shouldn't say too much because I can't remember what it was. But they they had this coupon where it wasn't multiplayer, so it wasn't like you were burdening their servers by playing. But it was like extra DLC for just the first hand market. And it's that kind of stuff where I agree with you that they have the right to do that. And no, we shouldn't have any laws you know dictating otherwise. But to me, it's kind of a you know a hit to the gut where you know just because I'm a secondhand buyer you're trying to degrade my experience well how am I going to love the experience if you're taking away part of the experience does that make sense or am I, well you... sure you you can make the argument that it's that it's counterproductive to do these things mm-hmm. um but that doesn't necessarily make it wrong or that it's uh the that they don't have a point in saying that if you're not getting the money to the people who create the product that you're not a true fan of the product Right. I see your argument that you might say that this is counterproductive, that it doesn't actually work this way. But you know, as as near as I can say, like yeah, you know, like you're 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 really giving your dollars to the wrong people if that's the way that you're investing in your get your game purchases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yoko, did you have any thoughts before we move on to the last one? I wanted to bring up a point that Master of Fossils mentioned in the chat. That is, it rings true to me that you know, yeah, you can absolutely buy you know newer games new, but. I think part of the interesting thing about you know used games and why I, I still go to GameStop is because you know I got a PS2 you know for myself from a, for last Christmas and I'm trying to you know build up a, a library. So what about you know the used game markets for these older games that I know they're they're still trying to make money off of it and everything, but you know th- these older titles I'm you know getting some of these titles I'm yeah I'm not a true fan yet but I'm trying to 
actually, you know, build up my fandom and all that. Do, do the uh, the older games make a difference in this argument as opposed to new games that they're currently spending capital to produce? Yeah, that's true. And what if you buy a game that it's not for sale anymore, so you have to get used, but because you waited too long, they went out of business and they can't make any more games. Yeah. <laughs> well, and know. then there's, you know, there's also the whole thing like, okay, if you buy those old games used, maybe they've stopped supporting the servers for those at this point. So mm, yeah. has your service been unfairly degraded? Like, I kind of feel like gamers have this sense of entitlement. Like, they should be given everything that they want, even if it's at the expense of the company. You know, it's like with Blizzard and the online authentication, like, no land mode for uh, StarCraft Two. Yeah. Like, there was all this, this buzz about it, and everyone was upset, and everyone was mad. I said, okay, well, then don't buy the game. And people look at me like I was crazy, like, well, of course I'm going to buy the game, but it's just not fair that they're doing this to me. And it's like, well, like, you know, yeah. vote with your dollars, yeah. you know? Like, if you're still going to buy the game, then it's obviously still worth the $60 to you to get the game in its current state. Now, if yep. you want to make a statement to Blizzard, then don't buy the game. And people, it's like, it's like, well, I'm entitled to this, damn it. <laughs> Should we set, have said well, that about online brawl then? I mean, that, you know... It's, it's contradictory. That's, that's the problem, though, is I, I, I hear your argument, but at the same time, I kind of empathize with the gamers. Not their, not their entitlement mentality, but just that it's, it's hard to watch something you love make a wrong move. I mean, and we kind of had this discussion before with me and, and Skyward Sword, and I have all this beef against Skyward Sword mm-hmm. coming out next year and all the stuff they're doing to it. It's just one of those things like, oh, I hate what they're doing, but of course I'm going to go get it anyway because there's enough other good stuff that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to reconcile with yourself just to, to figure out, you know, do I support them? Do I not support them? Is this good enough or am I not going to tolerate this? Because, I mean, yeah, I can stand up and make the statement, no, I'm not going to pope with this blizzard. You're a piece of crap and I hate you. <laughs> but then like, he's like, oh, I'm not playing this great game all because of my one little statement. It's only one little component of the whole thing. Well, how can, I, how can I get the game but still make the statement but still, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to decide. Because you can't like, go to the store and be like, I'm only going to pay $30 for this game. Because I want to support that portion, but not this other portion. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, it's it's hard. But I agree, though. Yeah, yeah if, gamers are too entitled. It, it when it comes to multiplayer, they have a say in it because they maintain the servers. I was referring more to like the the extra content and the whole, you know, stuff that doesn't affect them but just degrades the secondhand buyer. Just 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 outright, just because. But anyway, um, the last one that they mentioned was that it said if secondhand sales are not stopped, they'll be just as detrimental as piracy. In other words, there's no difference between me buying a secondhand game and me having my buddy make a copy for me kind of thing. And that's one that's a little fuzzy. Uh, Yoko, what are your thoughts on that? Um, let's see. If secondhand sales are not stopped... Well, I'm going to say that if they are stopped... You know, it's still going to continue. I think you'd still see some sort of market, whether people, you know, go on Craigslist to sell their games. I think there is some sort of, you know, people feel that, you know, even with when they sell anything that's, you know, not a video game, the idea of selling is that you get, you know, something back so that you can eventually get something new. It's just a circle. So it's not like secondhand sales aren't going to be stopped. Um, well, because, and, I just want to add something right there to what you said. Even in cases where secondhand sales are not an option, in this case, games on Steam, for example, um, mm-hmm. 
I know people, they're, they're crazy. I think they're nuts for doing this, but they, they create an account for every game they buy. And so that they can at will say, I'm going to sell this. And even though it's against the terms, you know, they can't be tracked essentially. They go on eBay, they sell the game. They just hand over the name and the password, you know? Mm. So even if, even if secondhand sales are stopped, I agree with you that they will continue somehow. <laughs> right. So, um, but you know, we, we've had, you know, debates on, you know, de- a piracy being detrimental and it's, there are kind of similarities, but at the same time, they really aren't you know, the same. So it's, it's a toss up. I'm curious what you thought actually. Jason? Um, you know what? I, I don't think that the evidence is there that piracy is as big a deal as everyone makes it out right, to be. Right. Um, obviously, I'm a game developer, and I want people to pay for the products that I create, but I want them to pay for them because they're a fan of a quality product that I point to, put together, yep. and they they want to support me as a business person to continue to produce this. Um, I don't want them to give me their money because I've got their hands tied somehow or because they have to or, you know, like, it's that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, obviously, I don't want you to pirate my the games that I produce, but if that's the only way that somebody is ever going to get to play it for one reason or another, then, what, you know, I'll shrug it. I'll, I'll shrug my shoulders and take it. Um, because, you know, I want to invest in my products enough that I, I'm happy that somebody's playing them. Um, but, it, right. you know, when you look at the business case for it, piracy by and large probably doesn't have that big of an impact on most products. Now, I'm not saying all products, because there have been instances where piracy was a big deal. Um, you look at, um, what was the game? It was it was another one of those Dota clones that came out last year. Um, 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 um here's a new Earth. No, no, no. It was a, it was before that. Well, Spore really also got hit pretty big. I, I don't think Spore is the example you're thinking of, but no, it it was this. I'll have to look it up. It was this other game, but um, essentially what happened was they didn't put any DRM on it, and so they said, "Hey, look, we're going to host the servers for free." Um, there's no DRM oh. on the product, pay for it, yada, yada. That and sounds like so a Stardock people, game. Yes, yes, I believe it was from Stardock. Um, so all these people pirated it and then got on the official servers and crashed them out, right? So obviously piracy was a problem there, but but by and large, I don't think piracy has that much of an impact. Generally, the people who pirate games are not the people that are actually going to be your customers anyways. And a lot of people who pirate games may end up going back and paying for them later or paying for a sequel later, because they played the game and they liked it. So um, I think that the whole piracy argument is kind of a wash anyways, and I certainly don't think secondhand sales are as detrimental, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. as piracy um, to the game industry, because obviously they're still afloat, they're still making products, and they're still making yep. money, and I don't think that if secondhand sales went away that they would make that much more money. I think they'd probably just have a smaller audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just want to throw in, from an economic standpoint, regardless of your stance on piracy, it it just mathematically doesn't make any sense. If there's a large secondhand market, that means there was a large firsthand market feeding it. Now, and then that brings the question of, well, why is there so many secondhand sales? Well, is it a bad game? Are people not liking it or whatever? That's a different discussion. But fundamentally speaking, piracy is about making copies that didn't exist. And secondhand sales come from firsthand sales. Right. And so... While you, you can or can't make the argument that, oh, secondhand sales do damage, there's no possible way they'll do as much damage as piracy. It's just, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
And so to me, it's, it's scary to see it, but a lot of publishers that have made this statement, and that's why I put it in this dis- discussion, is they've openly stated, we have to do something about this. This is worse than piracy. I'd rather have people pirating my game than having secondhand sales happening, because that means people are making money from the, the, the transfer and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, give me a break. It's not that big a deal, and you, you'll, the industry will be fine. You've got to make good games. So. Okay, let me cut in real fast here. The game that I was speaking of was Demigod. Uh, yes, yeah, Demigod. Yeah, yeah. It was developed by Gas Powered Games, not by Stardock, even though Stardock. Oh, not Stardock? Oh, I thought Stardock made that one. But I do remember Demigod, and um, I brought Stardock. Was actually, Stardock was the Star- publisher, not the developer. The developer was oh, Gas Powered. Okay. Because Stardock is pretty well known for not DRMing their games. Right. Like, they, they uh, put out Sins of a Solar Empire with no DRM, and it like got second place in the sales charts. And. They really made a point to emphasize that because they're saying DRM is not not the answer. But yeah, and anyway. Yoko, by the way, I think that Spore was hurt more by its DRM by far than by mm. piracy. Yeah, it's it's that, EA though. That, EA is also you know a big deal in this because for their sports games, they're doing the online pass where you gotta you know when you get the game new, you get a pass that you're you're able to play the game online. But if you get it used, you have to pay ten dollars to get this online pass. So like, I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah, I, I think I would, that's a, I think that's a good way for EA to monetize the secondhand market. Agreed, but I mean, because then if you don't care about playing online, then you don't have to pay for it. Yeah, then you're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the game for cheap and you don't have to pay for it. But if you do care about online, then you you pay for it one way or another. So yeah. that's you know it's supply and demand. I like it. Go capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> capitalism for the win. Yay. Um. Oh, dang, I was going to say them. I just forgot what it was. Curses. Spore, DRM. Um, well, um, regarding Spore, I would say, yeah, a uh, big part of that piracy was the fact that they had so much such strict DRM on it. That was Most of it was a protest. Like, look, you put strict DRM on it, and we still cracked it. You're an idiot. Ha-ha, ha-ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was their thing. Um, Anything else? Uh, this or is going to kill me because... I was going to say that there's one last comment I wanted to make, and I know I'm going to remember it 10 minutes from now. I'm like, oh, yeah, remember secondhand sales, and we were talking about this, and that's going to ruin it, but I'll just forget well, about it. So if we jump into mail time, you'll probably, uh, you'll probably figure it out halfway through. So, there you go. so that, yeah. That's the problem, and I'll too, be too embarrassed to share it at that point. So, <laughs> but anyway, any last thoughts before we move on to our last segment, I guess? I think that pretty much covers most of it. I think mm-hmm. freedom... Freedom is important. The developers are free to do what they want. The customers are free to do what they want. And where the actual policy will come down is where the dollars meet. So. Okay, I think I think I just remembered it. Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, regarding GameStop um, and and just the whole controversy of oh they you know GameStop or whoever else even eBay people will sell their game for about you know five or ten bucks. They'll take whatever they can get for it and then they turn around and sell it for like forty or fifty because it's still under sixty and they make this huge profit. Um, I think that whole scenario, in my general opinion, just highlights one big issue, and that's that games tend to cost too much. There are some games I think that the $60 price point is justified, mm, yeah. but just in general, the fact that a business can get away with that, it highlights that maybe the game's too much to, to in the in the first place. And my, I guess, evidence I could cite is uh, Valve and their use of Steam sales, they found that when they dropped the prices of their games really low, they made more money, um, actual dollars, than when it was brand new and cost the full amount. 
Like it's something like when they dropped at 50%, they made like three times the amount of money and they dropped at 75% and they, they made like eight times the amount of money or some big numbers but whatever. But it just kind of highlights a point that there's a bigger market than the $60 price point. There's a, there's a market of people that'll pay 40 and there's a market of people who pay 20 and the market of people who pay 10. And if you have intelligent release windows, you can kill the secondhand market yourself. And that's what Valve does is they'll release Half-Life for like five bucks or two bucks at times. You know, who's going to go buy it used for a dollar fifty? You know, or or whatever. Where are you going to find it for that cheap? If you just if you get if you get your prices right and sell them to the right people, I mean, used sales, secondhand sales won't be a problem anymore at all. So, Buzz, let's just be just honest. A- you're you're unhappy that Nintendo decided to you know launch Wii Music as a fifty dollar game. Hey, my mother-in-law bought that for me. I didn't spend a penny on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that safe. Game. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that game. <laughs> Wii Music is the best game ever. No, that, that's a good point, though. I'm I'm glad you remembered it. Anyway, but yeah, that's just my last thought. Um, moving on. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we got three mail time questions, so let's get into those. We just got a letter. 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 Wonder who it's from. First question comes from Cafe Barista Forty Six. Who do you think is the best video game character? And that's ooh, a tough ooh, one me, because me first, me first. Okay, all right. What do you, what do you think best means, Buzz? Can I make a prediction? <laughs> I predict make. that Buzz will say Link. Oh, how did you know? Oh, oh I curse you. I just like Link because he's like the coolest. And he's like the best at solving puzzles and saving the kingdom, and yet he's like incredibly modest about it. He gets to the end, he saved the whole kingdom, and he's like, "There was Zelda, and you know he could take his prize." But he's like, "Well, uh, we'll see you later. I'm, I'm glad the kingdom's safe. I'll see you tomorrow." Mm, yeah. And he just walks away. <laughs> like he's just the coolest hero, and he's he's my favorite, and he'll always be my favorite. I'm gonna so. take a retro point from Gimpy Fish on a. a- podcast for show me news for a long time ago i can't remember what episode it was he said that but i'm gonna agree with him and say that it's mario because of his universality um everybody knows who mario is anyone can identify mario and mario's got a long time you know standing in the video game uh you know media community and all that freaking plumber but everyone identifies with him even if you know you aren't a you know short chubby italian plumber you know, you, you you invest yourself in Mario, so I'm, I'm gonna go Mario, even though I'm not like the biggest fan of like those retro games, mostly because I'm terrible at them. I'm, I'm gonna say Mario. Jason, I think he's thinking of who he can pick, or he can be disconnected. That works too. <laughs> well done, Skype. Link is totally the best. I can't believe he totally called it out on me. How embarrassing. Hey, hey. what's going on, guys? Yay, Skype. <laughs> Welcome back. So, I said Mario. Um, Buzz, okay, of course, said Link. Sure thing. Uh, okay, let's see. Um, yeah, I, have to, I have to quit Skype, and then you have to reconnect me, because I'm getting all the audio twice now. Oh. That's so, fun. So, I'm going to... Oh, no, wait. It seems to have fixed itself. Are you guys still there? Yep, we're here. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, good. Okay, we're good. Alrighty. Okay, definitely Waluigi. Waluigi? No. Waluigi? Is no, it... I'm just kidding. Someone in the show me your name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, so I should say that. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know that I have an answer to that question. You know, I think, like, the most popular characters that are out there, at least, you know, when you look at, like, Link and Mario and Master Chief and all these guys, like, they're incredibly popular because they're kind of the, the everyman or the every warrior or the silent protagonist or whatever. People can kind of imagine themselves, like, becoming that role. Mm-hmm. Um well, let's not equate you, that with like uh, with Twilight and books and Bella and all. Let's not equate with that. But it, well, you know. Well, a- anyways, let's. <laughs> when you look at like very like in depth, like well developed characters, like you have people that love them because it's just like me, or it's just like who I want to be, or you have people that hate them because they hate the characterization or whatever. Um, and so, like, there's kind of this balance. Like, when you look at, like, games as quote-unquote literature, like, these really well-developed characters, well, you run into the same thing you run into with literature. It's like, I couldn't really relate to the main character, so why do I care about this? Um, but when the character is kind of like this empty vessel that you kind of fill up as the player, um, I can say, hey, look, the best character in gaming like if is master chief because everyone loves to be master chief every red-blooded american kid wants to kill a billion aliens and commit mass genocide but save the human race at the same time like mm-hmm. uh, but does is that very literary is that very enlightened of me no mm-hmm. so uh, i'm going to say i have no answer to this question that it will be satisfactory to anyone other than to say that I like to shoot things and I like to jump on things' heads and I prefer to play as me even in a like world with a rich background and history and mythology and all that. So That makes sense. I'm just still gonna to say that Link, but he's mad I took it first. <laughs> or we can still say, yeah, he he really meant Master Chief. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh next question comes from Brandut. What are some games that have just been too tough for you that you just said, screw this and stop playing because it was just too difficult? Final Fantasy XI. (laughs) What a terrible, terrible game. You didn't like the whole (laughs) online thing there? Dude, okay, I got in... I never really played MMOs, and I got Final Fantasy XI because some friends were playing and I would play with them. But if you did not have, like, a set group of people to play with, with, like a set, like a fixed set of, uh, like, roles that you could do in the team, like, it took forever Mm -hmm. to get anything done. You could not solo that world, so it was like, (laughs) you would spend, like, if you had two hours to play, you'd spend the first 45 minutes putting a team together, and you'd be, like, spamming an all chat, rogue, looking for group, and unless you were, like, a white mage, which nobody liked to play because it was boring, but every group needed... Like it took forever to find and build a group, and then if like if you had if you were the guy that was friends with the white mage, like you were gold, like you were like the you were the the guy with the food in the in the famine, you know it was like everybody <laughs> wanted to be on your team, but so then once you got a team together and you'd go and play, and then somebody would suddenly be like, "Oh, I gotta go, my mom says I have to go to bed, and then that was like your group fell apart. And so for me, like not being able to solo it and not having like a good variety to be able to be successful with the content just made it too difficult to keep progressing. And I said, screw this. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that game for me would probably be Assassin's Creed. Um, I know there are probably a lot of retro examples that, you know, I, I would just die too easy, but if I'm thinking more of a modern example, um, 
I'm not one for stealth. I think I only like Metal Gear Solid games because there's enough of a difficulty lowering where you can just, you know, trank people like one shot no matter where on the body and they just drop. So I don't really have the patience for stealth and I think Assassin's Creed is not my style of game. And it I don't think it's really because of a a difficulty per se, but I think, you know, as my preference of as a as a game. You know, as a gamer, for my my the games that I like, I found it to be frustrating that I said screw this and I dropped it. Buzz. I have one and a half answers. One and a half. Well. Yes. Sure. My my, ha- my half answer is Zelda Two. Um, I've quit that game multiple times because of how frustrating the combat is and how difficult it gets near the end. But that's a good you know, retro example, I, yeah. I, I I came around and I I eventually you know fought my way to the end and but that that one is just ridiculously difficult. But my my true answer where I actually said screw this and I stopped playing and to this day I haven't beaten it. Uh, Battletoads Battle Maniacs. <laughs> that game just gets ridiculous early on too. Like the first level is not too bad. Level two, eh, doable. Level three, level four, level five. It just gets to the point where just if you don't have a million lives, you you die all the time and you start over all the time Battletoads is so hard um, Double Dragon I've beaten that one um, Battletoads Double Dragon for Super Nintendo that one's beatable mm. but Battle Maniacs you're yes you played with me it's, it's, you're not human if you can beat that game legitly you're a machine like Mewtwo King <laughs> yes <laughs> precisely um, last mail time question we have here it's from Kind King 01. It's not really a video game question, but I liked the question because we had a similar question about video games, about you know ones that everyone's seen, but you know you still have yet to play it. What's on your list? So this is a movie question. What are some movies that everyone has seen, but you just still haven't gotten around to them let, yet? Let me just get mine out of the way. Okay. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. We have plans to see it still. It's actually okay. in the cheap theater now, but we just never get around to it, and we still haven't seen it. So. This is why geeks can't have nice things, Buzz. I know! Because you wait until the cheap theater. Um, do you have any others that are nope. on that list? I've seen all the big ones. I've seen Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. Seen seen everything else. What about so. what about some, one, some movies that are not really recent, but like in the past? Like, I don't know if anyone has not seen Star Wars, but if they haven't seen the original Star Wars, that's atrocious. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everyone's seen at least one. Yeah. I mean, My wife had never seen Star Wars until we got married. Oh, no. I made her watch them. Are you serious? Yep, made her watch them. Wow. Like not, not, not one movie. She didn't see a single one of them. Nope. Ever. Never. Hmm. That's just bizarre. That reminds me of the uh, episode of How I Met Your Mother where you know the main character is about to marry this girl and she hadn't seen Star Wars and it's his favorite movie so you know <laughs> they they sit down and you know watch Star Wars and she, you know she ends up hating it like you know the the, ta- <laughs> the talking bear and all that like she she just didn't get it but it's like you know it, it's his favorite movie he's gonna you know see it when he's sick and all that can you put up with it yes oh well then you're meant for each other blah blah blah. Of course, they didn't end up getting married, but still, um, I think those movies for me, you know, movies like Casablanca, I still need to see. Um, I need to see Rocky. I need to see Godfather. <laughs> a lot of those, like you know, 
macho movies, I guess. Like, I, I haven't seen Scarface. I don't really care wait, to wait, see wait. Scarface. You were a film student and you haven't seen Godfather or Scarface? <laughs> Correct. But <laughs> I, I have, haven't seen Rocky but as I've a seen, film student? But I have seen Citizen Kane, like, too many times. That, What's that's, the matter with kids these days? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but another one that's a little more recent, and I remember in 1997 when I was nine years old, and Titanic came out, and um, you know my parents didn't let me see it because you know it's like oh it's not appropriate. You can wait until you're 13. Well, I didn't even care to see it when I was at 13. I haven't seen Titanic, even though it's what you know the third grossing movie of all time wait, or whatever. You were 13 and you didn't want to see Kate Winslet's boobs. I was nine, so that didn't hit in yet. My parents said but you, you can. Said- you said when you were 13, you didn't care to watch it. Well, it might also be because it was, like, what, three hours long? It's true. Yeah. Uh, Back to the Future is definitely one I have seen. And Ferris you Bueller. Were, you were such an enigma, Peter Spezia. Yes, yes, this is true. <laughs> you are. What about you're, when... you're like a living puzzle. Yeah. Spazia. <laughs> Spazia. <laughs> um, so... Jason, what are some that you haven't seen so I can make fun of you? I mean, accept it completely. <laughs> um, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Inception. Yep. Actually, oh, I haven't seen that either. I'm this in is the a same funny story. My, my, my wife and I, are, our anniversary is two days before our daughter's birthday, and so hmm. um, for the rest of our lives it's going to be kind of difficult to celebrate our our anniversary unless we have someone watch the kid and then we've even got to like rush back and you know it's not like we can take a week or a weekend or something and go away around her birthday at least until she's a little older when she's older she won't care if mom and dad are there but yeah for right now you know um but so my in-laws came into town and we were like okay what can we do with your your, your folks here that we can't usually do and it's like well we we can go see a movie because like it's been a, a year now and we hadn't been to the movie since she was born because you can't take an a, a six-month-old into the movies. They're not going to sit still long enough. They're not going to be quiet, yada, yep. yada. Um, so we're like, all right, well, let's go see Inception. It's supposed to be really good. It's really exciting, yada, yada. And so, like, my in-laws were going to get in on Friday night, and um, we were going to go out to dinner and then go see Inception. And so I was like, I made dinner reservations, and then I was looking at movie plans. And the the movie times, like, the theater near us like the the next showing after our dinner reservation was at like ten thirty eight or something, so we wouldn't have gotten out of the movie until like two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we're we're kind of old fogies now, you know. We got a kid, so we were like, uh, like we still kind of, you know. So um, so we ended up going to see Step Up three D. <laughs> so it's you know it's a it's a cinematic mess. I'm not gonna lie, like. We like, like I said earlier in the podcast, we like So You Think You Can Dance. Yeah, so there was a bunch of stars from that in there. And we do like dance like dance routines and all that. So mm-hmm. it was kind of one of those guilty pleasure things. You right. know, it was like the acting was atrocious. The writing was terrible. Um, there was nothing that made any sense about the plot. Um, the characters were two-dimensional. I mean, it was, it, was, it was everything bad that you can write about a movie. But the dances were kind of cool. <laughs> So um so we ended up going to see that and so I my one night out at the movies in the last year I went to go see Step Up 3D. So um yeah, super awesome. Sweet. Well, what was even better is like we were the only people over the age of like 19 in the movie theater <laughs> oh, there too. I believe it. I believe it. 
I don't know if I shared the story on the podcast, but when we went to see Scott Pilgrim, there were like two 80-plus-year-old guys who just came in and like sat down like it was no big thing. They're just seeing, they're just seeing Scott Pilgrim. Nice. It's, okay, they're, they're paying the money, whatever. Maybe they're just movie buffs. You know, mm-hmm. 80 years ago, like that's what you did. You went to go see movies. They were like a nickel apiece this or a dime true. apiece. And uh, you went and saw everything that was out. Yeah, like, uh, you know, trains getting off at the, the train station or, you know, flapper girls with their skirts. Well, maybe that's a little too long ago. I don't know. Well, Netflix is destroying the movie industry. Uh-oh. So. This is true. Putting Blockbuster and Hollywood Video and yep. all those out of business. And Redbox destroying the movie industry. Evolve or die, man. <laughs> Your business yes. model's got to evolve with the environment. Otherwise, you're done. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh man. All right, well, my um my laptop is at like 3%, so <laughs> we need to wrap this up before I just get cut off. Well, that is no a good Johnson's. reason to to call it a podcast then. Uh no Did you you want to plug anything uh M3D like you you have your your company Ninja Logic, but anything you want to <laughs> plug before we bid you adieu? Um I I do have one one little thing to to share with people. Okay. Um, I've been listening to other people trying to do commentary on various games, including League of Legends, because I've been brushing up on my broadcasting skills. And I, I want you—I want to talk for just one second about the word decimate. Ah, uh, yes. Decimate Please do. Please has a very do. specific meaning. Decimate means to reduce by ten percent. It comes from <laughs> practice, where if a entire gr- like unit or or military group mutinied or whatever they would punish them by killing 10% of them so they'd 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 roll lots and whoever drew the the short lot got killed as a punishment so instead of trying to kill you know 300 people in your legion or whatever you just killed 30 of them and that told them that if they ever mutinied again then they could expect the same kind of punishment so decimate has a very specific meaning it does not mean you got destroyed if you mean destroyed <laughs> say destroyed annihilated I yes, never knew the meaning to that word. That is so fascinating. They, decim- they got decimated makes you sound like you were 13 years old and you don't know your basic like vocabulary here. So if you want to sound smart, use a different word than decimate because it drives me crazy. It's a pet peeve <laughs> of mine, like too. It reduced you by 90% or something. Mm-hmm. No, no, it means reduced by 10%. So like in League of Legends, right, you've got five players on each team. And there's a team fight, right? And then the the announcer gets all excited. He says, oh, man, they decimated them. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean they took half the health of one of the players? <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for having me on the show. I will leave you guys with that. Thank you that so much. That was the best ending ever. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pet peeve of mine for a long time. So someone had to bring it up. Um, you provide a wonderful insight on today's show. Thank you so much. And we'll have you on again. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. And um, so, yep, with that, I'm Yoko. And I'm the bus. Uh... And uh, I'm Jason M3D Rice. Yeah, and we are out. Thanks. It's your turn. This week's It's Your Turn comes from Cyberlink420, discussing the niche point-and-click adventure game, Toonstruck. How much awesomeness does Christopher Lloyd, a.k.a. Doc Brown, add to the mix? Listen and find out. The year is 1996. 
PlayStation has been on the market for over a year, the Nintendo 64 has just launched a few months ago, and PC gaming continues to be more and more advanced. 3D graphics have taken the world by storm, and everyone is hopping on the polygonal bandwagon, as their 2D brethren begin to fall by the wayside. And yet, even during this era of transition, one title managed to set itself apart from the crowd without being forced to break from its flat, pixelated bonds. That game is Toonstruck. The game stars the ever-hilarious Christopher Lloyd as Drew Blank, an animator and the creator of the Fluffy Fluffy Bun Show, which is just reaching its 10th anniversary. However, by this point, Drew has grown tired of wasting his time on such corporate-fueled drivel, and instead wishes to finally bring to life the Flux Wildly Show, a series he's been trying to get off the ground since he started in the biz. Unfortunately, his boss, played by the master of deadpan executive himself, Ben Stein, sees no reason to stop the fluffy fluffy gravy train from rolling, and demands Drew create a whole new supporting cast of fuzzy critters by tomorrow morning. Drew slaves over his workspace all night to no avail, tiring himself out, but is woken in the dead of night by his television, which to his horror sucks him into a world of cartoons. Upon his arrival, he actually meets up with Flux Wiley himself, who agrees to help Drew return home. First, however, the two of them are tasked by the people of bright, colorful Qtopia to stop the efforts of Count Nefarious, ruler of the neighboring continent of evil known as the Malevolence, whose latest doomsday device is capable of turning tunes into sinister, twisted versions of themselves. With no alternative in sight, Drew and Flux get to work. For a game with a premise like this, presentation is everything, and Toonstruck most certainly delivers in that category. The game is presented through beautiful, hand-drawn backgrounds and sprites, with the game's story being played out through fully animated cutscenes by Nelvana, the same animation studio behind series like Care Bears, Magic School Bus, and The Adventures of Sam and Max. Toonstruck takes the Who-Framed Roger Rabbit approach by setting the live-action Lloyd in an animated world, almost seamlessly interacting with its celluloid inhabitants. This carries over to the game's in-game graphics, with digitized photos of Lloyd being used for blank, while the other characters, sprites, and backgrounds are all hand-drawn. The sprite animations are just as fluid, bouncy, and vibrant as you'd expect any cartoon to be, and truly help to make the game's illustrated world feel authentic. The visual style isn't just for show, though. Rather than just pass itself off as another pretty 2D game, Toonstruck takes the many tropes that the world of animation is known for, and absolutely revels in them. Its cartoon influences shine brightly through in the game's writing and visual style, and every bit of the game follows the kind of goofy, bizarre logic that you can only find in animation. Characters can stand on nothing at all and not fall until they realize they're no longer on solid ground. A mouse can be trapped by hitting him with a mallet when they seemingly entranced by the sound of music. An extending boxing glove can punch a hole clean through someone's skull, splattering their brains on the opposite wall, and after a few seconds of lying dazed with stars circling them, they're on their feet as good as new. It's loving homages to traditions like these that truly help bring Toonstruck to life. While the plot isn't super deep, the game's narrative will keep you intrigued, with more than one big plot twist taking place over its course, and the writing throughout is top-notch as Drew and Flux play off each other and the other tunes they meet for some genuinely funny dialogue. It's silly, bizarre, and totally irreverent, sometimes even getting so weird you have to do a second take to make sure you're playing the same game. I assure you, no one who's ever played this game will ever be able to forget the infamous barn and the horrors that lay inside. Of course, it's not enough for the game to just look like a cartoon, it's equally important that it sounds like one as well. Again, Toonstruck does not disappoint. 
All the slide whistles, buzzsaw noises, anvil clangs, and other goofy sounds you'd expect are here in droves, punctuating almost every movement a character makes. The music is top-notch as well, drawing on various tracks licensed from APM Music, whose works you can usually hear in programs like Ren and Stimpy, SpongeBob SquarePants, and, well, just about everything that's aired on Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. By far, though, the best part of Toonstruck's aural presentation is its voice acting. Not only does Christopher Lloyd turn in a suitably smarmy performance as Drew, but the supporting cast is even more solid. Flux's smart-ass comebacks and mad ravings are delivered by Homer Simpson himself, Dan Castellaneta, while the villainous Count Nefarious is played by none other than Tim Curry, who continues to prove himself the best voice of pure evil in showbiz. The rest of Toonstruck's world features equally convincing and entertaining performances by such greats as David Ogden Steers, Dom DeLuise, and just about every single cast member of Animaniacs. Naturally, though, even if the game looks good, it won't make a difference if the gameplay doesn't hold up. Thankfully, this is not the case for Toonstruck. The game follows the traditional point-and-click adventure format of solve puzzles, talk to characters, find items, use them where appropriate. It's a formula that's worked well for many years, and while it doesn't really innovate too much, it uses the conventional methods well. The puzzles are of reasonable difficulty for the most part, walking that thin line between being so easy a three-year-old can do it and forcing you to have a walkthrough on hand at all times. While a few are rather arbitrary and don't offer a whole lot in the way of hints, the puzzles for the most part are quite clever, encouraging you to more closely examine your environment and experiment with the items in your inventory, combining them and using them on your surroundings to discover things you might not have expected. The items you can find are suitably wacky, from a giant mallet to a can of fertilizer to even Flux himself, and it'll take every last one of them to get through, through this adventure. Anyone can get through the game reasonably easily, and if you're smart, you can probably finish in 5-10 to 10 hours or so. But you'll want to go back and explore in case there's any particularly funny scenes or dialogue you might have missed while going through. Overall, on its own, Toonstruck is a solid point-and-click experience, but its brilliant presentation pushes it into the realm of true greatness. In truth, though, I can't honestly say that I discovered this gem on my own. Rather, I found out about it many years later, when it was recommended to me on my very first SMYN episode by none other than Samurai Panda himself. Now, two years later, I've finally gotten the chance to experience it for myself, and I truly wish I and many others had picked it up back then, as the game was a financial flop. What's worse, even if you play through this game all the way to the end, you'll only be getting half the Toonstruck experience. Partway through development, the decision was made to remove the second half of the game and release it later as a sequel, with cut scenes including Drew as a cowboy and he and Flux meeting an animated Vincent Van Gogh. Unfortunately, despite high praise from critics and most of the sequel's content being completed, Toonstruck's lack of financial success led to the second part never being released. The only hope was a team of devoted fans working together to create their own sequel based on what little information they could find about what could have been. However, hope re-emerged when Keith Aram, the music director for the game, revealed that he now holds the rights to both the first game and the unreleased content of the second, and seeks to re-release the game with the missing second half intact, though he claims that tremendous fan support would be required to justify its release. So I come to you now, not as a recurring guest, but as a fellow gamer who wants to give this classic title a second chance to be experienced as it was truly meant to be. And so, fellow gamers, I implore you to show your support for Toonstruck. Sign the petition, join the Facebook group, post about it on message boards, spread the word to news sites, tell anyone and everyone you can about this forgotten classic so it can get to the attention it deserves. After all, if Duke Nukem Forever can be brought back from the depths of the abyss, who says we can't band together and do the same for Toonstruck?
show me your news. I want to be the very best no one ever was. Cash them as my real test to train them as my car. I will travel across the land searching far and wide. There's Pokemon to understand the power that's inside. Pokemon, gotta catch them all. I know it's my destiny. Oh, you're my best friend In a world we must defend Pokemon, gotta catch you A heart so true Our courage will pull us through You teach me and I'll teach you Pokemon, gotta catch them all Gotta catch them all, Pokemon So you wanna be a master of Pokemon Do you have the skills to be? I wanna take the ultimate step Find courage to be bold Risk it all and not forget The lessons that I hold I wanna go where no one's been Far beyond the crowd Yeah, learn the way to take a man Use the power that's in my hand We all live in a Pokemon world Pokemon, I wanna be The greatest master of them all We all live in a Pokemon world So you wanna be a master of Pokemon? Do you have the skills to be number one? We all live in a Pokemon world, Pokemon. I wanna be the greatest master of them all. You found right in your hand, Pokemon. It's a whole new world we live in, live in. Pokemon Go. Everybody wants to show their skills Everybody wants to get that faster Make the way to the top of the hill Each time you try Gonna get just a little bit better Each step you climb Is one more step up the ladder It's a whole new world we live in It's a whole new way to see It's a whole new place With a brand new attitude But you still gotta catch up be the best that you can It's a whole new world we live in But you still gotta catch them all Be the best that you can Pokemon Johto Pokemon Johto Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon Let's do it I wanna be the very best Like no one ever was Test to train is my cause. My whole life is led to this. It's time to test my skills. And I know I just can't miss when I show the world. Born to be a winner. Born to be a champion. Born to be a winner. Born to be the very best. Born to be a Pokemon, no time to question my moves. I stick to the path that I choose. Me and my friends are gonna do it right. You'll never see us run away from a fight. 
got to do is believe I believe I got a chance to win I'm on my way to victory I can be a champion if I just believe I'm on a master quest I want the whole world to see I'm gonna be the very best It's all I got to do I wanna be a hero Pokemon Advance I'm on my way I wanna be a hero Give it just one chance And the future will decide If there's a hero buried deep inside I wanna be a hero Pokemon Pokemon Every trainer has a choice Listen to that voice inside I know the battle may be long Winners may have come and gone I will carry on Yeah, this dream will last forever This dream will never die We will rise to the challenge every time Yeah, this dream keeps us together There's only you and I We'll be the best that the world ever seen Walking down this endless highway Nothing but my friends beside me We'll never give in, we'll never rest Advanced battle is the ultimate test From the earth, the land, the sea, and sky They never win, but they sure can try Destiny, we will be heroes. We can change. 
Sometimes it's hard to know Which way you're supposed to go The deep inside You know you're strong If you follow your heart You can't be wrong Stand up What is right? Be brave Get ready to fight Hold on We're friends for life And if we come together as one Complete the quest It's about you, it's about me, it's about hope, it's about dreams, it's about friends that work together to claim their destiny. It's about reaching for the sky, having the courage, willing to try.